What's up, y'all? Nick, Rob, Devin. There might be somebody else I don't There know. is one special guest, yeah. You might have heard him there. He's uh, kind of the man of a uh, few words, as some would say. <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, James Cadiz, brother James. How you been, man? What's cracking, bro? Glad to be here on with you. Oh, man. So a lot of yeah, everybody knows who you are, but a, what a lot of people may not know is how instrumental you've been in getting version three back on track as it were i mean just may you know from a support standpoint and encouragement and uh, thank you for that well i ain't no fool bro it's a it's a blessing to be a part of something so great i mean it's uh you guys are awesome uh dan you've been a huge blessing to me so i think that goes both ways bro yeah, i appreciate that all right guys well let's get right into it um i have an exciting week but as we have discussed previously i never go first so who wants to go first today i think i've had the least exciting week so let me go first and get it out of the way <laughs> yeah because you've got this ability to turn nothing into like a whole word salad because you all interrupt so much <laughs> go ahead dude all right so i don't know if you could tell at the end of the last episode but i was kind of a little bit stumbling over some words and, and getting a little hoarse um you know, I have to talk a lot at work, and I thought maybe that was it. But I woke up the next morning on the following Tuesday and was not feeling good at all. And so for those of us that are road warriors that travel constantly for work, we you know, we carry COVID test kits with us. And yes, sure enough, I was positive for COVID. So that threw a whole wrench in the work project I was working on. It made getting home pain in the butt. It was just a whole movie. Uh, unfortunately, it's the second time I've managed to catch it in 11 weeks, which is pretty rare and annoying. But, uh, you know, yay me, I guess. Um, so it's been kind of a, uh, an uneventful week. I definitely have not had the energy to fly. Uh, it's now almost a week later, and uh, today's really the first day that I feel like all my energy's come back. Honestly, I've been putting the kids to bed at like 8.30 and then tipping over not long after that myself. So uh, definitely no flying this week. Uh, I think every night this week I said, all right, tonight's the night I put the kids to bed, and then I'm going to repair the 580 crash damage because I have all those parts here. And at 8.32, I'm like, nope, not tonight going to bed. <laughs> so uh, I, I feel really good today. So I'm hoping uh, maybe late tonight, if not tomorrow night, I'll uh, finally get the 580 fixed. Uh, so that's good. And other annoying news this week. So uh, I sold the set of Theta servos that I had that were extra. And as you know, these are programmable servos. But Theta has this uh, security feature in their servo programming. So if you you know, change the center point of the server or whatnot, you've essentially bound that servo to the device you program it with and your specific, you know, name and password and login, et cetera. And what you're supposed to do when you sell the servos is there's a button you can push on the Android app that says, you know, restore servo to factory defaults and log out of the servo, which means basically restores it to factory state. 
and I forgot to do that and I shipped them across the country and then I realized it. And uh, so right now my Android phone that I just use for programming and servos is also being shipped across the country. So this very kind <laughs> gentleman can <laughs> restore the servos so he can program them. So I completely screwed that one up. This is kind of the way that this week has been going. But in one bit of positive news before I uh, hand it off to who's next here, uh, the Nimbus 550, 550, 550. I've been hanging around Eric Shoe too much. Uh, build video <laughs> is done. Uh, I've submitted it all to uh, the HeliDirect media team today. So that video series should be posted within about a week or so of when you're hearing this episode. I will say if you know any beginners in the hobby who are tackling their first kit build, this is the video series for them, whether it's the Nimbus 550 or an Align Heli or SAB or whatever it is. It's very bound to basics, you know, all about, you know, how to build your first rotor head, you know, all the detailed explanations of thrust bearings. You know, if you're if you're an experienced builder, this is definitely not the video for you. But if you know someone new to the hobby who's feeling a little intimidated by their first kit build, definitely uh, point them at this video series when you see it released. And with that, that's all I got. What about nice. uh, you, Devin? I had a pretty good week. I went flying this weekend, camped down at Ocean County, which Dan, I think you've been down, went down to the Ocean County fun, fun yep. fly there. Yep. Um, worked on Saturday, shot prof- shoot professional fireworks. So did that down in, at a private golf course in South Jersey. Wait, wait, you and get to it, blow things up for a living? Yes, I do. Dude. No. the field. Being that I'm from the Middle East, I'm jealous. holy smokes okay so i didn't know that devin known you for years i had no idea you were doing that's pretty cool all right rad yeah yeah and then went back to the field flew all day sunday and drove home and then went back to the work life it was a pretty pretty uneventful week for me but just cruising along any carnage no carnage dude you got to start crashing a little bit more okay you got to go to more events to see it Oh. Is that where you crash? Is that when you do your crashing? Only when people are watching. Yeah, really that's when the nuts hang low. Yes, real low, like touching the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can yeah. relate to that too. Yeah. <laughs> In more ways than you probably want to imagine. <laughs> God. No, but besides flying, camping, and uh, hanging out at the club down at Ocean County, that basically sums up my week. Finally, no more pink eye. So we're good on that department. You, you guys are a dirty bunch. I mean, Nick's getting COVID. You're getting pink eye. Rob's going to tell me he's got, what, syphilis? What do you got, Rob? What's your what's your illness? I got scabies in my ear. <laughs> he's got scabies. He's got scurvy. Yeah. You're not exactly no. immune here, Mr. Broken Ankle. Ah, but that's not, yeah. that's not an infection. So there. Yeah. That's not cooties, guys. Dude, that okay. COVID suck. I'm telling yeah, you, really I... Does. When I had I had it, oh geez, I don't know, three months ago, and it was like death warmed over. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. And I've had, I had H1N1. That was bad. That was actually worse, but that was a long time ago. And then I had scarlet fever when I was a kid. Dude, I had that for like seven months. Damn, oh, man. Don't remember any of it because I was only, I don't know, three. <laughs> you were nearly comatose with scarlet that fever. That explains a lot. That explains a lot. Oh my! <laughs> oh, well, I've had COVID no. three times. It's kind yeah. of crazy, but yeah. So, Devin, that was pretty uneventful. Yes, pretty. Not, uneventful. not gonna lie. I expect a little bit more out of you when you come in and tell us what your week's been up to. Like, 
I don't know. Make well, some shit up, dude. Make some shit <laughs> up. Did you buy well, something cool? Well, if you, if uh, yeah, you, did you want me to did I buy any heli stuff? No, but if you want me to crash, I'm sure the shiny shorts or sweatpants can do it. Blind me for 30 seconds and boom, you'll get your... The boom. <laughs> dude, you got you to gotta move on from the, from the <laughs> shorts and sweatpants. Yeah. I mean, You're <laughs> you are. You, you, I, I like shiny like, things. Like before we even started recording, you brought that up like twice, dude. Dude, you remember in elementary school when the little boys were really attracted to the little girls and they would pick on the little girls all the time yeah. because they liked them? Dan, that's yep. what's going on. I think Devin's kind of got a thing for you, bro. He's got like a bromance <laughs> oh, thing going see, on. It's kind, I was it's kind go of the other way, James. I well, no, I mean that's that's there too. There's th- listen, I, I'm just. Oh, I mean, look you. at him. He's a cute little dude, man. <laughs> dude, <laughs> oh, don't get me started now. I mean, oh, Dan. God, Rob, save us. Devin, I just going to give you a piece of advice. If Dan buys a van, don't ever get in it, ever, under any no, circumstances. Gonna, I demand no. to be the first one in it. Oh, <laughs> that's my boy. Uh, uh, God help us. <laughs> oh. right, that's yes. what I like to hear. Rob. Ed, Daniel. Tell us about your week. You're, uh, and you're in a safe space. Just, just relax. Wow. And let us have it. Okay. No, okay, why? So I've got a couple <laughs> I've got a couple of carnage stories, uh, one heli related, one not heli related. Um, and I was only involved in one of them. Um, but my week has been all right. You know, I've been trying to meet this goal of, you know, just flying at least once a day, you know, or more if I can. So basically every day since we recorded last, I've taken out the T-Rex 600 and the 500 or my Gowie X5 because I've got the 12 cell pack set up and then I've got this 4,000 milliamp uh, pack for the X5 and it's kind of bulky for the uh, 500, but I've been flying both on there just to kind of get them tuned up and stuff and just have fun with it. But um, I actually ordered a couple of 3,300 that this, uh, Super cheap off-brand that I'm trying to fly right now is this Ovonic or something from Amazon. And I got this uh, $60 pack that I'm flying right now. Flies all right, you know? So I bought two 3300s, six-cell packs, and I figure, oh, shit, I can fly them one at a time on the 500 if I want. I can make up a little jig and do a a 12-cell on my six if I want it to also, right? So that's on the way. But this morning I go out and I fly after taking the kids to school and uh, I, I'm like, well, I'll just fly the 500 and then 600. I had them both charged because, you know, like I said last show, I like to charge at home and then I'll just take my shit and fly and come back home. Right. So I get out there and I'm flying. Everything seems to be just fine. The, the 500 is flying nice and smooth. Uh, everything's I'm trying to get the B-Stacks tuned up. So I'm just figuring out my rates and stuff. And uh, so I, I do a, a flip and I come into a hover and I'm just hovering. And then it just starts to kind of slide to the side and I go to give input, you know, uh, right aileron and nothing happens. It doesn't, doesn't respond to that. And so I don't know if, uh, one of the servos was a little crunchy. I don't know if maybe I lost a gear flying a little hard or something or lost one of the teeth in the gear or something and locked it up. I'm not sure, but I was only a, a few feet off the ground. Uh, so I hit throttle hold and, uh, I'm thinking back, you know, I, I pulled the stick down a little sooner than I should have. So I just kind of, spiked it a little bit into the ground so i lost one of the blades that blade struck the boom so i I got a dent in the boom it's only very slightly bent so i probably could bend the boom back if i wanted to right but it tore up all the 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 gears 
in the front and back of the tail. So I got to replace those. Main gear got uh, stripped. So I'm going to replace that. The main shaft seems like it's all right, uh, but it's got a little tiny bit of a wobble that it had before I crashed it. It's still the same. I was going to replace the shaft anyway. So I figured if I got to buy parts, now's the time. I might as well just do that anyway. So I, that's about where I'm at. The frame's fine. You know, um, grips are fine. All the links are okay. Um, that one servo um, in the bag, when you sent me the stuff, Dan, in the bag, the, there was actually a, a replacement gear set for one of them servos. So that's that's fucking perfect. Um, so I'll be able to uh, repair that pretty easy. But so that kind of sucked. So I'm like, God damn it, you know. Um, but I made sure not to like sulk on it for too long. I went and just set it down and grabbed the 600, plugged it and went and flew had a great flight with that, you know, uh, and just forgot that I just forgot about crashing because I remember back when I was flying before how you could get yourself kind of mind fucked into mm -hmm. um, paralysis, right? Um, yep. Or wallet fear, that kind of shit, you know, and I'm like, you know what? I'm, fuck it. I'm just going to fly. I came out here to fly both these birds. One's down. I can't do anything about it. Let's fly the other one. And I had a really good flight. Um, flew, uh, you know, I've been talking about wanting to dabble in the low head speed stuff and I'm surprised, you know, it's a little more challenging than I thought it was. I, I've got the, the 600 set up. I think it's, um, I bumped it up a little bit. It's 1900, uh, in my like normal mode. Right. So I don't really have much of a bearing, but I feel like that's, that's kind of low for a 600, right? Or can, do you go lower than that or not? I mean, it sounds low I, and it's, there's not a lot of lift, you know? Um, but it is a little low for a 600, though, I think. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. aren't they, Devin, aren't you guys flying those at 2200-ish? Um, for, low, like, low head speed fly. On the lower side, yeah, 21, 22, right okay. around there, is when it starts waking up and getting a little nimble. And then, you, of course, you can go higher than that. Like like yeah. I said, I've, I fly, like, 28, 3000 on my 600. So. <laughs> That's crazy, man. I'm flying yeah, 1750 on a 600. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's around seventeen hundred, seventeen fifty on my uh, five eighty. I mean, so you when can I first do that got this, too, but you got to gear the tail for it. Yeah. So when I first got this, the first uh, the governor first governor setting was seventeen fifty or seventeen eighty or something, and the first time I flew it, it was really obviously obviously really low, and I I was like, that's really low. I think I want to try something a little higher than that first. So I I bumped it up. But Devin, like you were mentioning, it starts to wake up at around twenty two hundred. As I was doing my flight, you know, I just flew around for about 30 seconds or so on on that bank one. Um, and then I just skipped right up to my bank two. It's like 2250. And it comes, it's like a whole different helicopter, you know, even at just 2200 RPM. And oh, yeah. I know I talked before, I was all afraid. Maybe it's just because of the size, you know. I was like, man, it's, this just feels like it just sounds well, dude, like it wants to come apart, you know. But You're being hard on yourself, man. You're just, you're just kind of getting back into it. Yeah, right. yeah I know. Yeah. And that, that's probably it, you know, cause I, once I lit it up, you know, and got it in the air and flew around everything I wanted to do, I could do fine. You know, I wasn't afraid to fly a trick that I know how to do in the sim or any of that kind of stuff. You know, it's just, I don't know. I just been playing it safe, I guess lately. You'll come to like 20, 2200, I think, because it's a pretty, it's like that middle zone of, it's not crazy to where the helicopter becomes insanely fast and it's not so slow where you could get into trouble it's kind yeah. of that efficiency zone right there. You're right. pretty efficient, good on the packs. The motor will, the motor will like it. The ESC will like it. And you know, you're not destroying stuff and losing yeah. time on all your electronics. For sure, man. Yeah. I've, I've got my timer set at, 
it was set at 4.30 and I flew around on that, came down and landed and my my cells were still at like 3.82 or something like that. So I feel like I, I got more room in there. So I set it to five, and, you know, with the type of flying that I fly, I think five minutes is plenty of time, you know, and I'm, I feel like I probably could fly it longer than that, but five minutes feels like a good round number for a single sure. flight, you know, for yeah. me. So, um, so that's me in the heli world. So I get this 500. Now I'm just going to take the broken parts off there. And I already have a cart full of stuff that I was going to order from heli to direct at some point. It's around a hundred dollars worth of stuff. That's kind of what I was expecting. And that's all the, yeah, ironically the stuff that I broke in this crash. So, um, I kind of already know what to expect, you know, once, once I decide to actually order that shit and fix it or whatever. But, um, so yeah, there, there's the, the crash part of build crash fly on the 500, but, but, uh, the other carnage that happened to me, well, it didn't, well, it vicariously happened to me, I guess is, uh, my, my son just got his license, um, a couple of weeks ago, the official license, you know, he's been driving around on his permit and this and that or whatever. So I let him go out. He was out with his friend, um, the other day, this must've been two days ago now. Um, and I'm sitting at home just on the bench, just wrenching some shit. And he calls me, he's like, dad, I need you to come over here and help me. Uh, I hit a pole. And I'm like, what the fuck? So I go over there and the dumbass <laughs> fucking hit a power pole <laughs> with his friend's truck. <laughs> and to him and his friend and these two girls are all just kind of standing around all bewildered, like not sure what to do. And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Um, so come, come to find out his, he was coming, he was driving on this road and he went to turn into this alley. And then as he was going, he, you know, he was going to hit the brakes to slow down and go in the alley. But instead he hit the long pedal instead of the wide pedal oh. and, just kind of, and just bam, just smashed right into this pole. And luckily for him, it, there was two poles right next to each other. There's the tall pole that had the electricity on it. And then, um, right next to it, there was a shorter pole um, that's basically right in line with this one that had communications and other kind of stuff on it. And basically he hit the pole and sheared it off at the ground and just pushed the, the whole pole out towards the other pole. And it's just kind of sitting there. So utility company came and strapped the two poles together. There wasn't, none of the drop cables up there got any damage or anything. So he's not gonna have to pay out the ass for the pole or, or any of the wires or any of that kind of stuff, you know, but he fucked that kid's car, his, that kid's truck up. I got to tell you what. So huh. there's carnage oh. there. Yeah. The, he, the whole front bumper is just crushed in the middle where he hit the, hit the thing. The hood was fucked up. The, the, the steel mount that mounts the radiators and shit like that was all fucked up. And, but apparently these guys know some people, so they're getting a bunch of body parts for free, which is good. But he had to go buy some tie rod ends and some ball joints and some other shit for the, front steering that he jacked all up when he jumped the curb and hit the fucking pole. <laughs> <laughs> My God, that sucks. Sucks. I know, right? And he was probably trying to show off and stuff for his girls, these girls in the car or whatever, probably just moments before that. So hopefully well, luckily no one got hurt, right? Yeah, yeah, nobody got hurt. And so I mean, just, it's just shit. Shit can be picked. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, the good news yeah, here, yeah. like as a parent is that he called you, right? That's always yeah. good, I think. If my kids are in trouble, I want them to feel like they can call me. So that's great that they that he did. Amen you betcha. Yeah. yeah, you betcha. Yeah. So he's a really good kid. He just whatever had dumb thumbs of the toes or of the feet uh, in in this truck, and so so it runs uh, in the family, is what you're saying. I guess. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Top half over here. Bottom half over there. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Wow. So, yeah. Rob, I, before we move on, I want to talk a little bit about the, you know, you, you brought something up earlier, and it's that that whole mental, especially getting back into it, that whole mental state of, yeah, especially after a crash, you know, and, and to add on top of that, it's like, you know, when you dump them a helicopter in, to me, that sets easy with me, easier anyway. But when something happens that you can't really explain, yeah, that really does put a spooky. It is. Right? And it, yeah. it really kind of shocks you a little bit. But yeah, I'm going to put this yeah, whole thing back together. And, you know, it, I'm still, I feel like that first flight, I'm still going to have a thing in the back of my head like, did the thing that caused what happened before, did I fix that by putting all these things back together? Or was it something else that I just hadn't even right. seen yet? And I'm going to fly this and find that out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. You'll I, get through it. I can relate to that. Yeah. I, I don't know if you remember this, Dan, but at the RCHN Fun Fly, I think it was like RCHN 4, I had a Synergy 766 spinning 806 blades. And I had, you know, best you can buy a Jetty radio. I still fly Jetty. And I put that thing up in the air and it started coming at me and I lost complete. There was no, no stick inputs, nothing. It, it just Ugh. failed. And it finally came to rest. I just put it on throttle hold and helped that there would be one moment where the radio, you know, fail safe didn't kick in anything. Right. And that thing fell behind me about 10 feet away from a little boy. I don't know if you remember that. Mm. It was a terrible mm. situation. Yeah, I stopped spooky, flying for five months after that because I sent my radio back to Jetty and it turns out that the radio board on that Jetty was bad. They said they've had that happen two times out of the last 5,000 that they've sold. Oh, so when wow. I got the new wow. radio, I'm telling you, man, it was scary to fly. I, I, I flew micros for probably two months until I just got my head back together with it. Yeah. It was really I would have had a hard time regaining faith in that particular radio, that brand yeah. of radio after some shit like that. Well, the, the funny thing about it is, is I bought Jetty because of the redundant capabilities that it has. In Southern California, it's an RF-rich area, and Jetty happens to be the one that does the best typically with it, right? So um, I, I ended up buying a DS24 and I haven't had a single problem where guys have problems when they're field testing and looking at distances. I don't have those problems anymore. But, you know, one radio that went bad on me, I mean, it ended it for me. It was like I it was it was absolutely terrible. It was yeah. terrifying. And I, ne I didn't want to put one up in the air. And now I actually do signal checks and all that now just because of that one experience. But, yeah, if you have no confidence in your equipment. You're done. It does. It just doesn't work. Right? Yeah, it doesn't. Not even the normal flying will work the same anymore because you're not. Your brain's not even linked to your fingers like they need to be, or any of that. You go into a vapor lock almost. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, well, shit, dude. It'll get better. It'll get better. That's uh. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and yeah. it's whatever. You know, it's kind of like I was thinking about it earlier today because I went through a moment where I was like, "Oh, that's so dumb. Why, why the hell didn't I?" do something different and, you know, like sure. what if I yawed around and just, you know, cause I, I couldn't, I couldn't aileron right, but I could aileron left, you know, and if I would have yawed 180 and aileron left, I could have pulled it cause it was drifting towards, I was in a ball field. So it was drifting towards the dugout and I had a choice. I could go up and over the dugout and throttle hold, or I could just put it hold right now and put it straight down. And obviously, you know, that's the smart. I did the smartest thing, you know, my, 
my and that's that's good to think back in that you know my 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 brain and muscle memory did the right thing first which was just to hit throttle hold because something's wrong and just put it down i wasn't trying to destroy it or anything like that it just came down harder than i wanted it to right a little bit but still that was the right choice but still i found myself beating myself up like I could, you know, what if I was able to do this particular mover maneuver and then come down softer or whatever. But after that, I was like, you know what, it's, none of that really matters because I really like the building part of the whole thing anyway. So it just, once I get over the sticker shock of having to spend money out of my wallet <laughs> that I don't have, once that stuff's on the bench, then we're gold, you know, we're good, man. It's all. Yeah. But Rob, can fine. I, uh, can I say this, that I'll just say that the the amateur mindset or the inexperienced mindset is you do whatever you can to save it, put it up in the air, turn it around, do the 180, lean over, all of that stuff. And the responsible and mature and experienced pilot is going to hit throttle hold and put it down because yep. it's the safety thing. It's always been the problem I've had with, you know, the five-year-old pilots, um, you know, that they don't have that kind of mindset. It's a let's save it type of a thing. There are some exceptions to that rule. But uh, to second guess yourself like that, I'll tell you this right now, you made the right decision. Uh, I think yeah, it could have been brother. way worse if you 180 it and did the other thing. I mean, God knows what could have happened. Right. It could have hit me in the face or some stupid. Yeah. So I'm realizing something. We should have had Rob go laugh. <laughs> just, just kidding, Rob. Just kidding. Oh, crap. Damn. Hey, I, I can be the closer, man. I got all the juice. That's cool. Brother James. Oh man! Well, uh, well, since the last time I was on uh, RCH, years ago, yeah, it was several years ago. Um, I had just gotten married, and um, since then, uh, me and my wife have had the amazing privilege of adopting two little girls. Uh, hey, when cool. we when we got them, uh, the, they are two biological siblings. The youngest was born on Super Bowl Sunday. Kind of an interesting thing. She. Um, at the time was two weeks old and her older sister was uh, just short of three years old. So now I've got a, uh, a four-year-old soon to be five and a year and a half old. And um, that kind of put a dampener on a lot of heli stuff. Uh, in the midst of that, we purchased a new home so that we can kind of provide a better environment for the kids. And so um, the benefit that came from that is my wife allowed me to have the dream garage uh, it's which nice allowed too. me to, oh yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's an incredible blessing, yeah. but in the process, I've sort of slowed down in all of my heli stuff, building all that. And I sped up pretty quickly about a year ago, started doing a lot of flying. Now, um, I just, uh, right now I'm putting the finishing touches on my goblin 770 sport. Um, I still have a few helicopters to build. I, I have a raw KSC that I still have to build. Uh, I have a Kraken 580 and 700 that I have to build. Probably 700 I'll sell. Uh, and uh, I still have a Fireball and a 420 that I have to build as well. There, there's got a lot of them lined up, which is not like me. Normally, I build stuff pretty quickly. But um, <laughs> I got lazy for a little while. About six months, uh, got in a little rut of flying micros. Um, I have a Oxy 5, uh, Oxy 2, an Oxy 4, and an Oxy 4 Max. And I've been getting kind of lackadaisical in flying the Oxy 5. Um, it, I had a problem with the one-way bearing, so I had to sort of shelf it. And so I started flying my Oxy 4 every day when I would go to the field. And so had a moment about three, maybe four weeks ago, uh, that got a little rough for me. And um, I, I kind of have a safe place when I fly. I get up, 
I almost immediately go inverted and I do pirouetting climb outs, a pirouette flip on the top end, and then uh, basically go back out. It's like the first thing that I do and I nose down and just do a massive overspeed. That's pretty much what I do. So on this particular day, I'm coming down doing a massive overspeed. I got to be diving at probably 100 plus miles an hour. I straighten myself out, you know, big, massive, you know, the whole thing, all of that. Get myself out in an inverted hover only to find a hawk that seems to be protecting something about 50 feet on the ground below me and shoots off to attack me, right? (laughs) So so this is no joke. I climb out. uh, I uh, do one of those half cubinates to dive back down. And this thing is chasing me with everything it's got, right? (laughs) So I finally get to the point where um, I, uh, get to about five feet at a full stop after just going probably 60 mile an hour in that helicopter and, uh, auto rotate down, save the helicopter. Don't hit the bird, all of that. So I said, okay, crap, I need to start flying with bigger helicopters. So lo and behold, <laughs> I put, <laughs> it put a fire under me to get the one way fixed on the oxy five. That's getting done, uh, tomorrow so that when I fly on Wednesday, that'll be ready. Seven seventy will be ready. Um, and I got to say that what got me to start building again after a big old long time of not building was uh, my father passing away uh, first of the year this year. Now, my dad was a Rob McClellan type of a dad. My dad was a, a wonderful man, uh, loved God, loved his country, loved family. And just like my mom, he was just amazing. They gave us a great childhood. So um, I took a couple of weeks off after I did my dad's memorial service because many of you already know this. I'm a pastor. And um, and so we did that. And after that, I just took, this is no joke. It was therapy for me. I took a couple of weeks off and just built, just got on my shop and just built for a while and spend nice. a lot of time doing that. And uh, Dan knows about all of that. And so mm-hmm. um, I find myself on the tail end of, of really hustling now and so um, I'm excited about that. The fireball that I have is almost done. I put some finishing touches on it last week. I'll be completely done with it uh, probably the end of the week or next week. I can't wait to rip into the 420. I have um, five 2600 milliamp hour Maniacs batteries that I got to solder up and get all ready for that thing. I got, this is amazing. Wait, I just wait, got, wait, 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 wait. Dude, who solders batteries anymore? Oh, I know, dude. Listen, on the smaller batteries, you have to solder them. And yeah. the way it works on the 420, you 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 got to solder them in there uh, because of the quick connectors. But here's a cool thing about that. You know, everybody's been making these dumb three millimeter bullets to charge uh, those 420 batteries. Well, today I just got in the mail. Um, Bert sent them to me pretty quickly, which is cool. I just got them in the mail, those uh, 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 ESC side of the battery connector so that now I can make charge leads for it. Um, which is really, really great. And I, you guys were talking about chargers last week. I've got some pretty big chargers. You know, I got these massive Joe Cashwell, uh, one massive Joe Cashwell chargers. It's got a couple of dual uh, 308s in there and it's got nice. uh, two 2100 uh, uh, million or two, 2100 watt power supplies in there to kind of keep it all separated and everything. And I've got a, a dedicated 30 amp circuit for each of those plugs. It's in my garage. So that stays nice. in my garage for all of the charging. Damn. And then I've got a, a um, progressive RC case that's got a, um, a dual 4010 that I just take with me to, you know, fun flies and all that stuff. And then I recently just bought a K4 uh, charger that is awesome to just charge in my office. 
Um, five C, Dan, you're nuts. I'm just going to say that. I've known you for a no, long not. time. I had no yeah, idea, right. dude. Five C is crazy, but that's a whole other ball of wax. You want to go big or go home, baby? Yeah, go big or go home while you burn your house down. <laughs> Two C's for chumps. <laughs> and then the other thing that just came in that just makes me thoroughly happy were those bat cases. Um, you know, they've been untouchable. You can't get them. They haven't been able to, we haven't been able to get them. And, uh, a guy online, uh, or in the forums sold me one. So now I have two of the big XL bat cases to keep all my bigger batteries in. I've got a smaller one and it works out great. And then one other kind of a bummer thing, uh, happened. I, I like to fly Contronic. Most of my speed controls are Cosmics, uh, on my bigger ones and had an opportunity to buy a Cosmic 200 at a pretty good price from a really good guy. Guy's a good guy in the hobby. Um, it's not Frank Moradeos, but it's it's a guy out of Miami. And uh, he sold it to me. And when I got it, uh, there were some things on there I didn't really like. Um, and so I just said, ah, bro, I'm not so sure. So this guy's an awesome guy. He actually uh, gave me the refund and actually sent me money for shipping, which I'm like, dude, no, forget that. No, and we, we worked that out. But now I'm on the hunt for another Contronic. So if there's anybody out there that wants to sell a Cosmic Cool 200 for a reasonable price that's in like super great condition because I'm an anal about it, let me know. Um, but other than that, man, that's kind of the way it's been. It's been busy on the heli front, and I've really been enjoying it. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. And Devin, I've been watching you fly. Uh, dude, you're getting stupid good. You're getting way, way better. And uh, Nick, to your compliment, uh, your build videos are awesome, dude. I just watch it to re- I watch your build videos to relax. Uh, yeah, I kid you not. Uh, Can I help really? you sleep, <laughs> dude. You know what, oh. dude? Dude, no, oh. I picked up. I've actually picked up some good, uh, uh, some good insight from you. Um, I, I am oh, a, thanks, a, a little anal about cleaning my screws. I throw them in one of those Sonic cleaners, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, the, you know, the little owl thing, the, uh, the little poker thing that you were talking about, dude, I love yeah. that's like changed the speed of my building a whole bunch. And oh, uh, now I got to go watch all the Nick videos. Oh, I don't yeah, know what dude, you're talking about. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> you watch Nick's videos, you'll become a better builder. I'll tell you that. And I'm going to watch a few, building. but I've never heard anything about an owl. Uh, an uh, owl. What is it called? A-W-L. An owl. Thank you. It's a pokey oh. thing. Listen yeah, to me. I, I, it, it is my foreign background that keeps me from pronouncing correctly. But <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it is yeah, all of the tools are inside of there, and I just pick one. Get out of my store if you're not going to buy anything. Um. Anyway, just so, pay in cash. <laughs> 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 okay now uh yeah so <laughs> okay i'm out of control Did but yeah so it's a curse on us or something what was no, that yeah. no just anybody who speaks arabic will tell you it means uh, i love you a whole bunch and may god keep you but it sounds a little violent so i just figured out it. <laughs> reminds me of german my god <laughs> So anyway, uh, so that's uh, the latest and the greatest. Uh, that's all I got. That's a lot. Sounds good, man. Yep. Great to it have you on like the a show. little bit of hilly nirvana going on over there, dude. That's pretty awesome. Oh man, I'm. I, you know what? I really I'm loving it, and I I budget for it, right? I, I, I unfortunately I have a I I put a big budget aside, and oftentimes I find myself having to pull from that to take care of other things. Uh, oh, one other thing I should say: every time I've been flying, I'm taking my four year old with me. And um, hey, word. the whole the whole uh, purpose behind that is to get her to know the rules, the safety. You don't touch things unless you're asked. You don't walk out on the field unless um, 
We talk about it. And she's an amazing little girl. She gets it all. And pretty soon, um, I, I, I think I'll have her at pro level by the time she's uh, five and a half. No, I'm just joking. But it is <laughs> fun. It's a it. great bonding time for me and my baby. And I, I love it. I think it's great. Nick tried That's that awesome. a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Hey, yeah. bro. <laughs> Maybe sitting. What was it? One flight? Did you get one flight? Was that what happened? Uh, no, I got I got no flights. Uh, but the kids well, had a ball, and that's what matters. The amazing <laughs> thing about my little girl is she's so charming that all the other guys that uh, are flying with me, they just love hanging out with her and talking to her while I'm putting in my flight. So there you go. Uh, and well, it that's works what happens out when I like bring just my son to the field. Is he's you know quickly becomes one of the boys, and you know. I can get tons of flights in with just one, but when, when you have both of them there, uh, you know, it gets a little harder. But I will tell you, it's the, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me besides getting married and, uh, you know, all the religious stuff that no one wants to hear about. But I can tell you this, um, I, uh, I love those kids, and um, it, it's the, the adoption thing is a pretty amazing thing, and they are my flesh and blood. They literally are. Uh, that's how it feels. And they bring a lot of joy to me. And you guys know this. I mean, you know, when, with children, uh, it seems like a bummer when you give up the stuff that you love to do so that you can bless them. But the reality of it is it's a greater blessing to do that. And it all seems to work out right. Uh, It's great. All my building, my girl is with me, you know, just don't, I don't see it that way. I mean, it's a good thing because (laughs) if I had kids, I'd probably be in jail. I'd be in prison because I probably would have killed him. Well, Dan, you say that, and I kind of thought the same way, but then when you get them, bro, there's nothing in the world you wouldn't do for them, and it, and it pays huge dividends. Huge. I mean, when my nieces and nephews were young, I'd go visit, and I'd be like, okay, yep, I made the right choice because I get to leave now. <laughs> I get to leave the chaos behind. It's temporary. Well, right? it, dude, when my nephew was 10 years old, uh, maybe eight or nine, 10, uh, maybe eight, eight years old, I bought him a, a little uh, helicopter. I got him a 360 size. Um, and then I took him over to Todd Bennett to give him lessons. And I was so pissed off by the time that ended. I was like mad beyond mad because when I got there, and this is just absolutely terrible, when I got there, uh, Todd says, okay, this is aileron, this is elevator, this is this, this is that. That kid flew at a pro level the first time he put his hands on the sticks. Uh, <laughs> now, I get it. He was simming, but it was the, the guy was doing pyro flips. He was doing well, pyro flips, and he was doing pirouetting TikToks. Dang. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, my ne- I have a nephew that I got into. Well, actually, he worked for me at Skyfish uh, as an intern. I bought him a drone a long time ago, just a cheapie for Christmas one year. And now he's got his 107. Yeah, he, I tried to get him into the helis, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He just, he wasn't interested. So drones went over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, no, that'd be bad. Yeah. This I, week for me, has been a pretty good week, guys. From every yeah, aspect. Nice. Good. So. Good. I can't wait to hear about this. I think it was. Thursday. Of course, I can't drive anywhere uh, yet. Uh, And so the wife has to take me everywhere, which she doesn't have a problem with that. In fact, she's the one that says, hey, let's uh, let's go flying today. Okay, let's do it. And so we went on Thursday. And we were there most of the day and I got a lot of flights in. Uh, One, just to kind of kind of go back to what to touch on Rob's point again. I did have one scary moment and I don't know, it wasn't a, 
wasn't a near crash or anything, but it was a, it was an absolute vapor lock. I was flying the helicopter towards me at a very high rate of speed from way out, way far out. And it was coming at me. And all of a sudden my mind was like, um, you don't know what to do now. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's oh, like, you it's forgot just, how to fly. <laughs> it's like for two seconds, it was like, I don't know what stick to push. You know what I mean? Yeah. And quickly, it didn't fly past me. It didn't get near me. It didn't, you know, it wasn't a close call, but it was definitely a, um, a reminder, I guess. Yeah. Lack of better big words, big but, deadly machine coming at you and yeah. you're like, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> dude, I know. What do I do now? Anyway, so I'm, I'm flying the, the 570 and, uh, I, I was kind of whining a little bit. Surprise, surprise. About how much I missed the Forza. Yeah. Uh, mainly just the size. I like the bigger machine. And so we, the wife and I were kind of talking and, and uh, she said, so if you were to get another machine, what would you get? And I'd had a conversation with Danny Melnick and kind of had settled on getting a, a Soxo. 7.1 Strike, I think they call it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Nice. So, so I told so her about strikes. that. I hate you. <laughs> and um, I hate you. <laughs> so we get home and she comes down and I'm here in my little corner of the hobby room. And she said, pull up that helicopter. I want to see it. And then I did. And she said, okay, uh, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> she bought it. Wait, did, did you break the cardinal rule? Did you reveal the price of a 700-sized helicopter to a spouse? Dude, she, I told her, I said, her, I said, you know, it's like, it's going to be like 900 bucks. And <laughs> it actually was a little more than that. It was shipping and I bought a few extra things, just battery trays and whatnot. Yeah. She didn't even flinch. Wow. She's like, dang. She's like, Keep her. You, Keep want, her. you want one and it's your hobby and it brings you joy. So anyway, she ordered it. And it showed up today. Fuck yeah, dude. And it's nice. almost built. Oh my, damn. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that short work of that thing? <laughs> I, just, I can't help but to laugh. <laughs> Holy smokes, Dan. <laughs> no, it's great. I, I got to tell you, I'm pretty impressed with the, I mean, obviously, I've only been handling it now for, you know, I don't know, got here at like 11 o'clock or so, so this morning. And it's going together quick. It's a very unique helicopter. Most everybody knows that. It's got some, you know, it's got a completely different, um, the way it drives the tail uh, with the servo. It's got a shaft drive, you know. It's very modular, if that makes sense. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's like you assemble part of it, but then you go and assemble this other part completely, you know, completely aside, and then you bring that part to the frame, right? Yeah, that uh, one-piece chassis is remarkable. That thing it is, is a cool design. Yep. And the one thing that I... I talked to a few team pilots. One thing that, that seems unique, uh, well, definitely unique, is that it's kind of got a sacrificial uh, separation of the... kind of the heart and soul of the craft where the, you know, the main gear and everything, you know, the, sh the, the shaft is and everything. Uh, it's got like... I don't, I don't know if they... It was determined to be that way but it's held there by a pla by plastic right it's um so like when it breaks it's just gonna hopefully just break there and another cool feature is that the the cage that everything sits in 
is one piece. It's, yeah, I saw um, that. That's cool looking. And so, you know, you don't have to worry about, is it square? It's absolutely square. Uh, everything goes together. You get the bottom frame put together and then you slide in everything else and it's boom, it's done. Right. It's, it's, uh, I don't know a lot about it yet. I'll be able to speak more to it as we go along, but should have it by tomorrow or should have it ready to go. I just got to put in the electronics, finish the tail and, and then set it up. That's cool. So you said the tail is shaft drive. Yeah. It's got a, instead of having a servo horn on the tail servo, it's got a, an adapter that actually just twists like a torque tube. Oh, no shit. And yeah. then there's a servo horn on the opposite end that moves the pitch slider. So the, the twist goes all the way down the end to the yes. tail. And at the end, the servo is actually twist, twisting that shaft all the way at the other end, which turns this, moves the yeah. slide. Yeah, oh, so if you, can pic- if you can picture it, when you look at any other helicopter, you look at the tail rod right? The tail rod goes left to right, right to left, back and forth like that. On this thing, it spins. So you'll never see the tail rod moving left to right. It's in one fixed position. Yep. Nice. And um, we'll see how it goes. I'm, you know, I'm pretty good friends with a couple of the guys I've known for on on the team uh, that I've known for quite some time. They were all pretty excited that I, that I decided, you know, to go with that particular helicopter and, uh, everybody's offering <laughs> if you need any help let me know and i did you know i dropped a few questions today you know everyone's i don't know the i'm a, I'm a stickler with manuals and it's a good manual but it's not a great manual it's really good at showing you how the parts kind of go to well how they go together kind of in an exploded ish type view but it doesn't for the moving parts it doesn't really give you a lot of detail on exactly how it moves and, and, and I don't know how to explain it. It's just to make sure that there's no interference or, and I'm thinking of the tension or the idler. I'm not sure what they call it on this particular helicopter, but it just didn't make a lot of sense to me the way it was put together uh, after now that it's now that I have it together and spent a little bit of time thinking about it. It, it, um, it makes sense now, but it, it took me a bit to kind of get through that. It's kind of a mystery getting from paper yeah, to, to real You know, life. once you do it once or ask a question, it's mystery solved. Not a big deal. Uh, I, th- I think the manual could do a little bit better job with some of that stuff. Because there's a few pieces that are a few particular steps that are just a little mysterious. But it's like it was put together with an expected level of knowledge. And maybe that's the case. Maybe I'm expected to have a certain <laughs> level of knowledge. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the case, but no, and I think you're right, man. Like Excel power has that same struggle with their manuals. It's more a, a series of organized schematics than a how to, right. right? Like an yes. SAB manual, you know, there's really, in yes, those times SAB of need, does a good there's manual. extra explanations and they do a really good yeah. job. Oh yeah. But yeah, no, I feel you. So, you know, uh, it's, um, so far, so good. I, I, the canopy is gorgeous. Oh my god! I didn't send you guys a picture of the canopy on purpose. I'm gonna Have make you seen wait. How the canopy you, attaches yet? It's very. I do. Cool. I Ooh. yes, I did, and very excited about that. One of my biggest complaints, and those of you who have forces, putting that canopy on is a pain in the ass. It it is. It's for me anyway. It's a fight. It's the old school uh, grommet four grommets and the little pins, right? And you can't yeah. see anything. It's you're blinded. You can't see 
yeah, you know, how close am I to the hole? And then you start poking it through and it's like coming through the edge of the grommet instead of the center of the grommet, right? Yeah. You poke the whole grommet through the hole <laughs> yeah, on right. the flight line and you're like, God and damn it's it. just, and, and if you don't, you know, that in nitpicking, right? Not a big deal. You can work, you know, you know, not a big deal, but it's just one of those things. Uh, you know, you kind of nitpick on things, but. Uh, Put a little CA on there and you'd be good. Well, yeah, and, and you, you know, and I did do that, but still, it's like, can't find the hole. Put a little fur around it. Ah, it's a joke. It's a joke. That's <laughs> what she said. said. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you like the head on that thing? I saw some pictures of it. It looks pretty me. cool. Can, oh, James needs an explanation <laughs> of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't, don't explain it. No, that's okay. <laughs> I'll, send you some, I'll send you some video, James. No! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just invite him to your Tinder account and he'll get it. There you it. go. I have a Tinder yeah. account apparently, what's James. Tinder? I didn't know this. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> and then what's, I'm sure there's a, what, what, I don't know. What are the other ones that I've got? I don't even oh, know. Oh, Grinder. Grinder. Yeah, I got a Grinder account too. Country Loving. Bigcountryloving.com. Farmers only. Yes. <laughs> no, no, it's something about sheep, sheeplovers.com, something like that. I don't know. That's right. She been going, ah, Montana, it's Montana thing. It's a Montana thing. It's a, I don't know that then. Anyway, I don't even know where I was at. You guys totally made me lose my train of thought. Talking about the canopy. You're ending on it's, the canopy. Oh, yeah. The canopy yeah. goes, it, it clicks. I don't know. I've seen video. I, I haven't got that far yet to or, you know, tell you exactly how it goes together. But uh, the canopy is beautiful. Uh, it's got kind of a matte finish. It's not glossy. It it just looks really good. I did. I got the yellow one, the neon yellow, which I think is going to be really good for for me, visually. Really looking forward to taking it out to uh, the event next weekend. I'm race yeah, city, is that what it is? Rotor Rotor Race. What's it? Man, I'm so bad. Race City, Race City Rotor Rage. I don't know something. Race, race city, city Rotor Fest. Rotor yeah, the Race City Rotor Fest. Yep. I like Rotor, Rotor Fest. Better. Rotor Rage. Yeah. Byron Rotor Rage. <laughs> so the wife and I are going down to that one next week. We're leaving Thursday. Uh, awesome. I'll be there all day Friday. Late Friday, probably leave out of there Saturday and go do something that she wants to go do. But um, yeah, that's about it. My week, pretty good week as far as week go, as far as I'm concerned. The Forza, or the Forza is sitting on the desk next to me here and it just looks so sad. Yeah, just pouty like you have sitting to on its it. side. You have it to. is sitting on its side totally. It's just <laughs> like, and then you know, parts are ripped off of it, and it's like, I, I'm not even whole anymore. And it still um, smells like fresh beans. <laughs> it does. All right, let's get this ball rolling. We got, we got a lot to talk about today, but first, I'm wondering, Nick, do you have any news? I got a little bit of news, yeah, not a lot, but a huh? little huh? hot news. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> oh my gosh, we got some news today. Here we go. Oh my goodness, get me out of here. All yeah. right, here we go. We're going to do a little bit of news and then we got a lot to get to. So uh, we'll move through this really quickly here. So Theta Servos are teasing a new Kenny Co. edition set of full-size servos. So... Uh, Kenny tuned the Theta Razor C1 and T1 cyclic and tail servos respectively there uh, and used them to great success at Global 3D and Theta is releasing a set of servos with Kenny's custom tuning. Uh, they've given them new model numbers as well. 
So it's the uh, the THL 788 Cyclics and the THL 782 Tail Servos. What's uh, nice about this kit is the bargain price of it, actually, rather than, uh, you know, some pro pilot slapping their name on a servo and adding, you know, $40 to the price, etc. Uh, these are actually fairly reasonable. You get the whole set, so three Cyclics and one Tail Servo for $479.99, so roughly $120 a servo. Uh, so certainly a very reasonable deal. So if you're in the market for a full-size set of servos, those should be available soon. Um, Dan, I would suggest you and I not buy these or we will lose yet another excuse for why our flying sucks. Um, so I'm going to avoid these. <laughs> <laughs> if we get the faster Neo and the Kenny Co servos, we really just have no excuses. So we'll, we'll be sure and avoid that. We'll, um, we'll, we'll come up with something. We'll come up with something. Yeah. So uh, SAB USA is uh, teasing this week the possible release of a Freedom Edition America Puma kit. Now, personally, as a non-U.S. citizen, I don't really understand this like mixed bag of rules with the flag in the U.S. You know, you got to fold it a certain way. You got to be super respectful for it. But it's okay to print it all over your underwear or slap it all over your helicopter. <laughs> but anyway, whatever. It's not my cup of tea. But if you're into a helicopter covered in the American flag, um, there is a list you can sign up for on SABUSA.com. Now, if you go to that website or BK's website, you can go on a scavenger hunt for this list. You will not find it. It's not linked on the front pages. It took me a while to figure this out, but I finally found the post on Facebook. Uh, so the web address you need is SABUSA.com forward slash freedom. Uh, and then uh, there's a little sign-up sheet, and I guess if they get enough names uh, to sign up for this kit. Now, this is a full kit, so it's not just a canopy and boom. It is an SAB Puma uh, in the Freedom Edition kit. So once again, that's uh, sabusa.com forward slash freedom. Does it come with like a stimulus check-style discount? <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes with some scale fries. Hey, I'm Dude. American. I'm going to buy yeah. that American Puma. Is that how you say it? Puma. You need to work on that one, James. <laughs> some stale <laughs> uh, a, a riot shield and a storm the Capitol kit. All right, moving on before we get into politics here. Ouch. Ouch. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Send your hate mail to dankreader at rchnv3.com. All right. <laughs> we have a yeah, it's not send it to that goes. box. Yeah, send it to that box because it won't make it anywhere. The hate mail goes to dankreed at msn.com. I don't check that email. That's oh, really, where you send yeah. all the yeah. hate mail. <laughs> Shit all over the butterfly. And then uh, lastly, we have a new news segment this week. We're going to call this one the Snooze of the Week. Uh, Scorpion uh -huh. has been teasing a new line of motors, but that's right. These are made for freestyle 3D airplanes and drones. Uh, however, they have been worked on extensively by Kyle Dahl. Yawn. Huh? I hear you were losing. I hear somebody snoring. <laughs> or drone. I, uh, I do too. Leave that alone. So yeah. Rob loves it. No word if Kyle's going to work on any helicopter motors. But at this rate, it seems like we're losing all of the Kyles to drones. Uh, yeah, but Nick, I think that if you're going to get that motor, you, you have to download that uh, very important update that will work only on the Tribunus 2 that allows you to operate other motors without there being a commutation error and blowing up. Oh, wait, other inferior yeah. motors. Let's be inferior very clear. The other motors. inferior motors. Part. Sorry, the <laughs> inferior motors. <laughs> oh, anyway, oh, I'm that so bad. is I your snooze Scorpion. of the week. Uh, James walked all over you. I'm yeah, sorry, dude. I'm sorry. Forgive <laughs> me. I'm, I'm a mess. <laughs> I just woke up. What happened? 
<laughs> they were talking about drones. You didn't miss anything. Oh, okay, about drones. good, good. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, before we exit out of the news, and, and this is neither here nor there, but I, I, I was intrigued last night because I stumbled across a Facebook thread where uh, Kyle Dahl and Bert Hammer were kind of going back and forth at each other. Oh, Did you guys see that? Thread. No, yes, I, I, I no, didn't tell see me. that. Tell me what happened. I, you know, I don't. I, I, oh, I did know, see it. Never mind. Well, were, were they tail whipping each other or what? Well, no. Kyle made a post, and and you know, I, I don't think he had any. I don't know. <laughs> no intent, right? I I just I think he's excited about what he's doing, and he just he posted from his perspective on his personal page. By the way, not exactly. not a not a company page. I, to me, it was a little off-putting. I'm not going to lie. The, the whole post, but I, I didn't read anything into it. I didn't go, "Oh my God, that guy doll, he's so evil." But no, I, I just like, eh. Well, that's you know, he, he's excited about it. Cool. I don't know if I agree with everything he had to say, but okay. Did he say yeah, all the motors stink? Is that what he? Is, well, was something like that. Well, he was just talking about the, the the mainly. I think the gist of the post was he was talking about the mm, creative marketing <laughs> that a lot of. <laughs> Motor manufacturers <laughs> use, and we all know that well, happens, right? Hundred and eighty uh, batteries. Is that what yeah. you're talking about? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just you know the the efficiency ratings, yada 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 yada. Well, anyway, Bert took exception, and I, I look, I kind of see Bert's point in this one too. It's not like I don't necessarily think that I'm really a fence sitter on this one. I just thought I just found it entertaining because it, it, they just kind of went on and on and on. Like they, yeah. like it wasn't just a one or two little post. It was like a back and forth, back and forth for several posts. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, go, go check it out. I mean, it's on Kyle's personal webpage. Um, so they were having a public cat fight about motor specs. Yeah, but it wasn't, you know, whatever. I think they were both pretty respectful. Bert was very respectful. I thought, and yeah, you know, totally. Kyle, I thought maybe he was getting, Maybe a little defensive in his responses, uh, but not bad. I mean, no, and it's text. It's hard to read emotion yeah, into something. It's hard, hard to get the context in there, right? In a text, but and it, it wasn't like that. You know, that time I'm at a fun point when I wake up in the morning, and I feel like I have to apologize to everybody because how much I drank the night before. It wasn't anything like that. <laughs> 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 it happens a lot. You said okay, when I go to okay. dude. Can I tell you that I got a phone call once from Todd Bennett? When he was at, uh, oh, I don't know where it was. I don't know if it was Othello or one of those other fun flies up north. Mm -hmm. And he said, dude, whatever you listen to in the interview that I did with RCHN, understand I was drunk and I meant you oh, no yeah. harm. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. He was, he, he's fun, man. When he gets, when he gets going. Oh, oh my God. Todd. Hey, it was, it was funny. I, I enjoyed yeah. it. I like Todd. Todd's good people. I like Todd. Yes, he is. Anyway, he's he's an old fogey now. Does he even fly anymore? I don't even know. Does yeah, he no, he does. And uh, I mean, I really have a lot of respect for him. He taught me really how to fly. That guy was a yeah. He, yeah. Yep. And he's well, in my yeah, neck I went to one of his classes too in Wyoming. It was oh my god, 107 degrees and oh my god, you love the heat. <laughs> Oof, that's too much. It was so hot. We're like, I'm gonna go find shade, cool down, and you're like, oh my god, the wind is hotter in the shade. Dude, right? it was just bad. <laughs> I took a guy to, to Todd's class once who was scared to crash his helicopter, and Todd took his bird way up in the air. <laughs> this is no joke. I'm not lying. You could ask him. 
and drove it into the ground and said, are you are you finished? Okay, here we go. Let's go fly. <laughs> I kid you not. Jesus. Holy shit. <laughs> He's got a very unconventional teaching style. Oh it's my like uh, he gets you about 400 feet in the sky and then he makes you go in forward flight. Then he makes you look away. He's like, Yo, look away, yeah. look at the ground, look at the ground. Oh yeah. Keep looking at the ground, keep looking at the ground. And you're like, you're like, uh, he says, just don't worry about the helicopter. Just keep looking at the ground. <laughs> and about 10, 15 seconds later, he's like, go, go ahead and look at it. He's like, see, yeah. it's doing the same goddamn thing it was doing when you, when you took your eyes away from it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he told this guy, he goes, and I can't say all the words that he said, but he basically said, kids are dying in Iraq right now. <laughs> Come on, this is a toy <laughs> helicopter. <laughs> Lighten up. Just fly it. <laughs> Drill sergeant? Oh, greatest teacher he's, in the world. He's just got a unorthodox teaching style, but he's just a lot of fun. And if you, you know, if you're thin skinned, maybe you shouldn't take a no, no. <laughs> but if you can you know take a good i mean like i think devin would not that he would need it obviously but with like devin's mentality i think he would do really really <laughs> oh, yeah. Todd bennett class yeah. In your, oh yeah time to get done with the news and move into what we need to talk about today you guys ready so there's a reason we brought james on this week we don't want to beat this dead horse, and it's been talked about a lot, but we, we want to kind of go over some of the urchis stuff. Now, we've had, uh, we've given opportunities to both, I guess, sides, Angel being one and Dan Lucentes being the other. Uh, we weren't here to take sides. We're not, as Nick aptly pointed out on the Facebook post, we are not in investigative journalists here, right? What we are are people who love this hobby, and we want truth to be known to the best of its ability. And we want to be able to know that the hobby is going to prosper. That being said, we were able to get our hands on not all, but a significant amount of documents regarding the <laughs> craziness that is this urchin debacle. James has been going over these documents for the past week and a half. And, you know, he's got some background in, in legalese and he understands this stuff and he can explain this stuff in, in ways that we will be able to understand it. So we want to basically just lay this out. And then at the end, we're going to talk about now these keep in mind, these are our own personal perspectives. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Everybody's going to look at this and they're going to come to their own conclusion. And that's kind of what we want to happen. So on that note, James, um, you kind of have this mapped out. I'm going to let you kind of roll with it and we will ask you questions uh, when we need to. And then we will then go into more questions towards the end. Okay, perfect. Um, there's a few things I do want to preface what I'm about to say uh, with because I somewhat feel obligated uh, to do so. Um, first of all, when I was reading through a lot of the documentation, the motions, so on and so forth, um, it's plain English to me just because I uh, have a, quite a background in this. So I kind of um, understand it a lot more than maybe the average bear does. Uh, what I do oftentimes, I find myself having to be in the middle of a lot of this 
uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, it's not one of the things that I really like to do. And I do thank God for the legal education that I had that enabled me to understand all this. But here, l- let me just preface a few things. First of all, we are going to talk about the actions of Urcha board members. I want two things uh, to be understood very clearly. Number one, we are not seeking to target any one person. I think that's kind of important. Um, I think it's critical that we understand that we are more concerned about the future of Urcha and where things are going um, than anything else. Um, I could look at both sides of the coin of what was presented, and I listened to those interviews multiple times, read all the blogs, all that stuff, and I can find some pretty serious fault on both sides. So my idea here is not to sit down and to attack uh, any one person. I also want to say this, since we are uh, having a conversation about uh, the actions of the Urcha board and everything that kind of led to this point, there are two things I want to make very clear. Number one, I, do, I don't like mentioning names, but I will say that Robert Monty, who uh, was a recent elected, duly elected board member into Urcha, who of course has since resigned, um, based on the documentation that I'm looking, I do not categorize him as part of any of this. And I think it's important to, to note that because if you go to the Urcha website, as many of you already know, they don't manage that website, at least the way they should. It's very outdated. Um, uh, it is very antiquated in many ways. I'm not talking about the technology perspective. I'm just simply talking about the fact that there is uh, a mechanism that they need to deploy that keeps it functionally sound. There's a principle that we learn about this when it comes to web browsing and all that stuff. And that is, if things are not updated, people will realize you don't care and then they won't care. So um, that website is not well-maintained, unfortunately. And so if you go to the Urcha website right now, it will show Robert Monty as a board member and he's not. Now, I don't claim to know why Robert resigned, Um, but just knowing him and understanding kind of the situation here, I'm not surprised that he did anything. And I don't count him in any of this because I don't believe he was any part of this. Um, as a matter of fact, I suspect, and I could be wrong. I've never had a conversation with Robert about any of this. I suspect that when he started doing some due diligence, he recognized where things are at, recognized his inability to, not on his part, but just simple inability as a result of the circumstances surrounding him to solve the problem. So he felt that it would be best for himself, the organization and the hobby to uh, resign. That's my guess. I could be wrong. I don't want to be unfair to Robert, but I do want to mention the fact that I don't uh, put him in this, even though he is noted on the website as a Urcha board member. The other thing that I want to say in case it does come up, and it may or may not, depending on where the questioning leads us, is when we talk about the businesses involved with Urcha, uh, there's been a lot of talk recently amongst the depositions and so on and so forth, the discovery material about uh, Burke Camera, for example, or Georges, or some of these other guys. I want to simply say that all of these guys, based on the research that I'm doing, seem to be following the type of responsibilities you would expect them to follow, and they appear to be contending for everything the way that they should be. I don't see any impropriety there. I don't see anything like that. They're simply going with the infrastructure set before them, and uh, many of the requests that were in the emails and discovery and all that, I think, are just simple, solid, business, anticipatory type of things that they do 
Um, and, um, and I will tell you, I kind of admire what these business owners are doing. Guys like Bert, Georges, all these guys, I think they are being aggressive for the sake of the betterment of their business, understanding that if their business goes under, so does part of the hobby. So I, I want to say that. Now, with all that said, um, the contention that has existed in my opinion, is somewhat superfluous. The question that we have to approach, and this is what I wanted to do, is instead of saying he said, she said, this is what their side is, that's what their side is, is I just want to start with the facts, okay? The things that we know to be true. And I think that that's kind of an important thing. And for, some people might not uh, appreciate the scope of this, but I want you to understand that by doing this, we want to preserve Urcha. You know, um, all of us have held memberships to Urcha. We care about the organization. We want it to do well. And in my opinion, if this does not get looked at the way it should have gotten looked at, well, then the reality of it is Urcha is going to be no more. It's not going to be a good situation. Now, I'll start with the facts. Some of it might seem dry. I'll try to be as brief as I can about it so that you guys can get the gist. Um, but I think it's important. And any of you guys can stop me at any point, okay? Um, when Urcha decided to become an organization, right, they filed with the Secretary of State in the state of Indiana, right? They filed as a domestic nonprofit corporation. The filing took place on, uh, this would be June the 22nd, 2006, and the expiration date was stipulated as perpetual, which means as long as they do all the things that they're supposed to do, the corporation will never expire. Now, there are some people, the reason why this is an important thing to note is there are some very limited purpose corporations that are oftentimes set up for very specific reasons that do have expiration dates tied to them. For example, when somebody wants to limit the liability in a, a particular fundraiser or a project that's being done, let's say I, I live in Indiana or I live in California, wherever it is I am, and I want to uh, build something for the purpose of it being donated, oftentimes uh, people will set that up as a matter of legal liability mitigation, a, a specific um, a corporation that does not have a, perp a perpetual label on it, meaning the corporation will last for only two years because they anticipate building whatever they're building, donating it to somebody, handing the asset over, and then they dissolve the corporation, right? Or the corporation, in essence, becomes automatically dissolved. Most of the time, they don't automatically dissolve because if they do, then you're in big trouble like Urcha was. I'll just make that very clear. So, when it comes to the laws of the state of Indiana, and I will just simply say I am not an expert in those laws. I have simply done the research necessary to be able to come to a sound conclusion about what we saw, right? I'm trying to connect the dots. But the way the state of Indiana works is they require, just like uh, California does or any other state in the union, I think there might be one exception to that. I think... Um, uh, if I remember correctly, it's, it's been a long time, but I think probably Alaska has a different filing, uh, rule, but the rule is what you are supposed to do is you are supposed to provide what they, what the state of Indiana calls a business entity report. Now in the state of California, it's a, uh, a, a statement of filing or a filing of statement. Um, it, there's different terms that we use, but basically what they are supposed to do is every two years they are required to report to everybody who the officers are, 
um, what their positions are and uh, where the agent for server process is. Meaning, who is the person, if the uh, corporation receives any type of legal document, who is the person that it's supposed to be served to on behalf of the corporation, okay? So um, there were four timely filings that were done by Urcha. It was started, of course, in 2006. They did a filing in 2008. They did a filing in 2009. I suspect that the filing in 2009 um, was an immediate change. Uh, and it is good established practice to file every year. They filed in 2010. They filed in 2011. And then their last filing was 2011. Now, understand, that's a violation of the law. If you're not filing uh, when you're supposed to be filing, then the corporation is not considered to be in good standing. And then in the state of Indiana, what will happen is if it has not been filed timely, a certain amount of time will go by and then you will have what is called an administrative dissolution. So on 10-16-2013, the administrative dissolution of Urcha, which is international, it's actually officially called International Radio Control Helicopter Association, Inc. Never, by the way, was it called controlled. It was control. Helicopter Association, Inc., by the way, that becomes important in just a minute, right? Um, was filed, or uh, the Secretary of State dissolved administry administratively its existence. Now, here's the problem. According to the law of the state of Indiana, when a corporation is administratively dissolved, you have five years from the date of its original dissolving to actually be reinstituted, okay? They call it revival, being revived. Amen, not that kind of revival, but you know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> it was revived, or they it needed to be revived within five years. It was not. I suspect that at some point, maybe around 2019 or 2018, I think more like 2019, based on the legal trail that I can see, they realized what was going on, how in the world they could think or be surprised by the fact that they're no longer a corporation in the state of Indiana to me, is just mind-boggling. Now, there is something very interesting, and that is they were categorized as a domestic nonprofit corporation in the state of Indiana, and I have yet to be able to locate their letter of determination, okay? Now, that basically means that Indiana recognizes them as a domestic nonprofit and uh, basically stipulates in front of them the things necessary in order to keep them as such in good standing, and most of the time, what the state will do is say, as long as you meet the federal requirements, you'll stay with us in good standing. Not quite sure what Indiana does, but there is no evidence of any such letter of determination uh, stipulated. So this is very important, uh, kind of an important thing. So what you would normally do after you start a nonprofit corporation is you would have to go to the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, and you have to get permission from them to be able to uh, uh, be a nonprofit. Now, the only exception to that rule, of course, is churches, right? Churches, based on statute, are not required to obtain 501c3 status because 
the law recognized them as statute, by statute, as already tax exempt. Lots of churches do it because um, big corporations will not donate to you unless you have 501c3 status. In this case, they filed for what's called a 501c4, okay? So um, this is a, a, a different type of nonprofit, and um, they filed this with the IRS initially, uh, I want to say around or close to the same time uh, that they actually uh, filed uh, for the start of the corporation in Indiana. Now, the problem is the, the IRS no longer recognizes them as a, uh, as a, a nonprofit status corporation in good standing because the rules with 501c4 is that you file what is called a 990 form, right? Um, every single year. It's a, it's a requirement. It's a serious deal, right? It's very, very important. So um, this, this becomes a big issue because um, their status was revoked. Their revocation posting date was 813 of 2008, but it was actually revoked in 2018. And so the IRS is very graceful in the sense that it takes you to not file for three years until you, you develop irre, uh, um, uh, revocation status, right? And of course, sometimes they do it earlier depending on the assets of the corporation and so on and so forth. So their status was revoked, which means for three consecutive years, they did not file their 990s. Now, what are 990s? 990s are, in essence, the tax returns for the nonprofit, it discloses um, every dime that is spent in the corporation related to whatever may be perceived as compensation for the officers, right? So, for example, if um, if an Urcha member uh, or a, a, an Urcha officer decides that um, they are going to have Urcha pay for their gas, right? Let's just say they they pay their gas mileage right? That has to, in some cases, be reported potentially as compensation. Unless they own a vehicle, Urcha owns a vehicle, and they're driving the Urcha vehicle, right? So there's there's a lot of rules with how reporting is done. It can be very complicated, and oftentimes it requires forensic accounting to make sure that the reports are uh, being submitted in an accountable way. So for at least three years, starting in 2015, they did not file 501c4s. That's a very, very clear thing. So they are a not a recognized nonprofit. Their corporation was actually dissolved in 2013. And then you have a much bigger problem. The bigger problem is when the corporation was administratively dissolved, according to the filing that was done by the officers of Urcha, and by the way, the people that filed, there were several names on the filing, um, kind of an interesting thing, David Milner, Charles Anderson, who was the person that was kind of being sued, Brett Walker, those guys uh, did the original filing, uh, Indiana um, Secretary of State approved it, but I want you to notice this, there's a section in the filing, and you can pull this online, that says, the distribution of assets on dissolution or final liquidation. Now, this is important because if a corporation is dissolved, whether it be administratively or by the will of its officers, there is a requirement if you are a nonprofit to disperse the assets of the corporation. Okay? So um, in 
the handwriting of one of the incorporators, I don't know if it was, I, I would suspect it was David Milner's handwriting. It says, these are the exact words, all assets. And by the way, let me refeed the, let me review the top of this. The top of this form says, refer to Indiana Code 2317-22-5 for permitted activities following dissolution. Okay, so when you look at that code, that code does not give anything, does not stipulate anything that is uh, what I would appear to deem as relevant for the way that this was dissolved. Now, again, um, you would have to look at an attorney who understands this like the back of their head to be able to comment on this. I'm not an Indiana attorney. Uh, quite frankly, I don't have the type of experience that you would have to have to understand the loopholes of a code that is thousands of pages, okay? It's uh, people make careers out of this. So I think that's an important thing to bring about. But he writes in his, own in his own handwriting, he says, all assets will be donated to the AMA, the Academy of Model Aeronautics, after all expenses and invoice invoices to creditors have been paid. And then he says, Article 8 of the Urcha bylaws. Now, when you go back and you read Article 8 of the Urcha bylaws, which of course is the section that is uh, related to finances, Article 8 finance, there is a section um, in there that refers to dissolution. It says this. It says, this organization, Section A, this organization may be dissolved with a vote of two-thirds two of the total members. Not the board, but the total members. So two-thirds of the members have to say, we're going to dissolve this. The other thing that I think is important is what they say in Section B, and this is what's scary. It says, should it be necessary or desirable that Urcha be dissolved, uh, the assets shall be donated to nonprofit organizations as determined by the board of directors at the time of dissolvement, providing the dissolvement is in compliance with all applicable laws. All bills or invoices from creditors and all expense vouchers shall be paid prior to any dissolving of the organization. Well, the problem with that is Article 8 is in direct conflict with what's stipulated in the section required for the Articles Incorporation, right? But I suspect that he referred to Article 8 in saying that he was expressing the wish of the directors at the time of the forming of the corporation via the Articles of Incorporation in saying that if it is dissolved, it in essence, all of the assets must go to uh, the AMA. Now, there's a lot of confusion here. And the reason why there's a lot of confusion is because many of the things that they put in their bylaws, and I'm not even going to talk about the 2019 bylaws with the new corporation that was formed, which by the way is still in good standing and is one that they're using, right? They even used that corporation in the lawsuit that was filed against Charles. I'm not going to get into those details, right? I'm, it, it, it doesn't even matter. I'm going to just stipulate to the... Uh, uh, Articles of Incorporation listed on the 22nd when the formation of the corporation took place. But there are so many, so many problems with conflicts of interest that are stipulated here. There are a lot of problems that don't make any sense. For example, when we start talking about the election of board members, right? It would appear as though many of the uh, processes set forth for the elections were never followed. As, as a matter of fact, what's really, really interesting is if you go to the Urcha website, 
And I would encourage you guys to go to the Urchel website. They, it's very, very out of date, right? And I will uh, make this very clear. They don't, they do not have any finances posted on the Urchel website. It's, it's just simply not true. So anybody who says it is on the Urchel website, um, they're mistaken. And if, you know, as of the time of this recording, nothing is there. Now, if Urcha goes back and posts them, that's fine. But I'm telling you right now, that's not the case. And when we talk about the Urcha Ambassador Program, which is something that was mentioned in uh, the episode two episodes ago by Dan, excuse me, a little burp. Um, th- it's amazing some of the things that are actually put in here, right? It's it's it, it's really really unique, right? So watch this. It says additionally. Urcha ambassadors are eligible to hold elected office. Previous and current officers and ambassadors are the only persons that can be nominated to the Urcha board. The intention is to have any officer, a prospect, fully understand the organization and complexities of the world jamboree to aid in functionality, uh, a functionally smooth transition to office in the future. Now, I have a serious amount of problems with that because Dan just finished telling everybody, not you, Dan, but uh, Dan Vente, yeah. Urcha is not the jamboree. Well, the way they're writing it here, it's all about the jamboree, number one. But then number two, when you look at the bylaws that actually took a, uh, that talk about qualifications for nominations, understand the qualification for nominations must be that you're a member in good standing. That's that's it. But now they're saying in this document right here that says you cannot be nominated for a position to the Urcha board unless you actually have become an ambassador first. Right? And that's Yeah, and just uh quickly, um the term good old boys club comes to mind just with that statement alone, James. That's listen, I I hate to say this, but that's exactly what's going on. Okay? Right. And and I hate to put this all together, but one of the questions that came to my mind, and there's so much more to say about this. Listen, we could we could keep de- kicking a, de- a dead horse and talking about how bad things are because they're bad, all right? But first of all, as a person who spends has spent for a good portion of his life a lot of time in business, and I'm not trying to say I'm qualified based on this or that or here or there. I have a very hard time understanding how anybody can commit to being a board member, right? And not ask these types of questions. Uh, This is is what's astounding to me. They claim that they've had lots of board meetings, but where are the minutes? I want to, there's two two points. That point I want to address really quick. And I want to clarify one thing. First, let's start with the clarification. Explain to us how this works. The bylaws of a corporation. Um, how do how does the state get involved, or how does the state make the corporation run itself based off of its bylaws? In other words, are, is the corporation mandated to follow its own bylaws? Every corporation is. So the, the bylaws are the very first thing that will get subpoenaed in a yes. lawsuit. So just to kind of distill that down even more. You can, you can set up your corporation in, in a fashion that's comfortable to you and remain compliant because of how you have set up your bylaws, as long as they're not infringing on or, you know, walking over some 
you know, no-go zone with an actual law that's already in the books. Is yeah. that correct? That's, that's correct. Uh, a great example okay. of this is when we started the church, um, we had to file uh, articles of incorporation, uh, which in essence stood as a very temporary uh, holding place for what were our bylaws. Then when our bylaws were established, which they were before the filing, um, those bylaws at the time were roughly four pages long, okay? Now our bylaws are somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 pages long because throughout the tenure of 17 years, case law changes all the time that require us to modify the bylaws. And it's my responsibility as the chairman of the board to allow my board members to understand the complexities of the bylaws that govern us so that they can be better at making the kind of decisions. Now, I say right. it's my responsibility, um, but the fiduciary responsibility that falls on uh, on the board members is all of them, right? Whether or not they're a um, an at-large board member, which we don't have at-large positions, or a voting position, right? And the, and the, it, the, the important part about this is if I come in as a member of a board, right, if I'm an officer of a board, the very first thing I'm going to do, me personally, is I'm going to demand to see the bylaws. And then I'm going to want to see the last at least year's worth of minutes of uh, board of director meetings, which in those minutes should include the things that have been approved. Like, for example, we have board meetings uh, as a church six times a year. Every board meeting that we have, we always approve the financials, which, as Angel said, are a series of P&Ls, both the summary, summary to kind of allow us to get a bird's eye view as well as the detail. And then we get into, um, uh, we also provide balance sheets for all of our board members so that they can dig into literally every single penny that the church spends. Now, as a pastor, I have no idea who gives and who doesn't give. I just know the bottom dollar because I don't want to be influenced by people who give. Um, but um, I do have a very strict requirement, just like every one of my board members, to make sure that that money is being managed correctly. And so we look at those financial reports. Now, three things happen at the beginning of each of our board uh, meetings, right? We do a roll call, right? Then we approve the minutes of the previous board meeting. And the reason why we approve the minutes of the previous board meeting is the minutes talk about all the things that we decided. Now, if we go and read the minutes and one of the board members says, oh, whoa, 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 I'm sorry, I don't remember that. Then we have to go back on the record and argue about the point or discuss the point that maybe somebody didn't understand. And then we basically say the minutes are approved pending this change because we have to put that change on the record or we say the minutes are approved uh, unanimously, right? And based on our bylaws, we're not allowed to approve minutes unless they're unanimously approved. So then once the minutes are approved, then we go to the approval of the financials. And so typically right. for us, we'll look at the last two months of the financials. Now, of course, our budget is a lot more significant than Urcha, and we do a lot of uh, daily spending. We have employees and so on and so forth. But the reality of it is all of that has to get looked at because if it doesn't get looked at, well, then in essence, we don't have the mechanisms of accountability to be able to provide whether or not we do things. And I can give you a case in point. We had a few things come up in one of our recent board members that demanded, like literally required us to go to some attorneys and look into whether or not something we were doing as a past established practice was actually legal. And so when we went to the attorneys, we found out, well, it's not illegal, but you probably should be doing this to set yourself up from potential liability in the future. And then so we had to sit down at a special board meeting and make a decision that is on the record that says, 
as directed by our legal advice without getting into privileged information, we uh, collectively have decided to, to move in this direction. So everything has to be perfectly, I'm not going to say perfectly, but well-documented in order to be able to put these things together. And right. um, I have been sued multiple times. The church has been sued ministry. Uh, people don't like the things that I say sometimes. And so that happens. And most of the time, uh, these don't even, the plaintiff doesn't even survive summary judgment because our documentation is so well put together that it's very hard to establish the kind of things that we're actually seeing right now in the case of Urcha. Right. So kind of the point I was getting at, there is a responsibility, a, a massive responsibility by the board members. Legal and fiduciary. To understand the bylaws and follow through and, and saying that, again, we're not trying to single anybody out, but saying things like, well, there's just too much work to do that is not a valid excuse. It's not. It just in, isn't. In my opinion, you shouldn't be a board member if you actually say that. And then, uh, and I'll tell you why this is just absolutely terrible. When you listen to the depositions uh, that Charles actually did on several of the board members, there is not a single board member that could tell us what the serial numbers were of the items that were missing. There was not a single board member that could uh, validly articulate how they came to the conclusion that certain monies were stolen. Now, they keep c claiming that that was part of the discovery process, which, by the way, both sides had no desire to provide for us, right? Um, and the reality of it is, this is my guess, and I'll explain why in just a minute, I happen to think that there was a lot of scapegoating going on in hopes that maybe through that they would be able to set up something valid. I can give you an example of this. When they're talking about wanting to keep up the uh, International Radio Control Helicopter Association name, the only way they might have a legal chance of doing it is by um, having the nonprofit be reinstated by, uh, by the IRS, the one that was actually uh, revoked. But the problem with that is the only way that they can justify doing that is if they provide a valid reason for why the 990s weren't filed. And the only way that they're going to be able to do that is my guess. And even then that might not work. It probably won't work is to say that there was a legal activity that was being done uh, by uh, a particular officer that in essence uh, did a series of things that kept them from being able to effectively file the 990s. The problem with that is um, you would have to have evidence of the fact that the board knew that there were 990s being filed when indeed they weren't being filed, right? So I, so I can give you an example of this. I know of a corporation that actually went to the IRS after finding out that they were, um, uh, uh, they were uh, revoked because of a lack of 990 filing. And they, they discovered this because when they went to go ask for a copy of their letter of determination, the IRS said, what a joke. I'm not giving you a letter of determination. You guys were revoked three years ago. Or I think it was something like five years ago. Well, the corporation says, what? That's crazy. So they go to find out that the guy that was doing all of their filing, a legitimate licensed CPA that was reporting to them and providing reports to them every year concerning the 990 filings, actually had Alzheimer's and failed to file like he was supposed oh, to. So they had to, in order to get themselves back on track, 
they had to prove medically, they had to give medical uh, evidence by a doctor who would be willing to release information based on the, uh, which that was no joke because they had to use the wife of this person to actually get permission to release the medical information because of HIPAA laws. And then once the IRS saw that, there was still a testimony period. I mean, there was so much that had to happen in order for them to be able to get their uh, to get their um, uh, their thing back. Not to mention the fact that they had to pay the almost three thousand dollar a year penalty that came with them not filing the nine nineties. Right. So, in your estimation, I mean, you've gone through quite a bit of stuff. So let's kind of try to chew a little bit of it up. Okay. Now. Again, I understand you're, you know, you're looking at this information, you're deciphering it based on what you have available to you. That's right. And by the way, we have asked for more information, but was never received any. This in your, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but in your estimation, are you saying that this is a potential motivation by the Urcha board to reinstate the original uh, corporation by means of saying, for, well, I guess for the lack of a better term, scapegoating a member of the board and claiming that ill proprieties were happening and this is why we had, hadn't filed. Potentially. But, I, yeah, I, but this is completely potential. We have no, and let us say, there is no, we have no, rock, I mean, this is just a guess, right? This We have no idea if this is the case. Yeah. If, but if, you've got to look at the information that we have and you, you can make an assessment off that information. And this is what it, in your mind, this is what it looks like. Is that fair? Yes. And, and, and okay. I, and I also want to say that, um, the, the level of carelessness and negligence in this is something beyond anything that anybody can possibly imagine. I mean, this look, when, when we start talking about everything that's going on, right? Uh, how they manage membership dues and how, well, how they're supposed to do all of that, right? It's astounding to me, absolutely astounding how much of this was just completely ignored. It was like they became board members and just thought that everything was taken care of and there was no obligation set forth in front of them. Uh, to put together official records, to put documents together, nothing. In essence, what you are looking at is there is only right now one legitimate corporation that holds the name of Urcha, right? And even then, their nonprofit legitimacy stands to question because the reality of it is, I don't even think it's technically a nonprofit. So, hmm. so I mean, you're talking about such a significant uh, problem here. I mean, it's, it's, it is such a terrible thing when you start looking at the executive fund, for example, and how things are, uh, handled, you're talking about the sole decision of the treasurer in conjunction with the president, which that in of itself is to me, just an, ast an astounding thing, right? Um, when they talk about who, who, and by the way, for all intents and purposes was the same person. Yes. You know what I mean? Which, by the way, it, it is illegal to make uh, an officer hold multiple positions, but it's a tremendously huge conflict of interest. It, it is unethical. It's it's just right. completely terrible. So it, it, it is very interesting. And then it's when you start talking about Urcha functions, 
even in the bylaws, they talk about the disbursement of any extra money that comes in from the jamboree being given back to the AMA. Now I'm telling you from what I know, from what I'm hearing in the depositions and so on and so forth, none of that happened, right? And then, and then when you start looking at the testimony, the sworn testimony of the officers in the deposition, none of them admitted, not a single one of them said that they had any responsibility over the finances. They said they didn't know. And they said that they did not know because all of that information was taken from them by Charles. But the reality of it is they should have had all that information if it was presented to them in board meetings. Right. There's, there's absolutely no way. Now, with respect to the hidden bank account that they're, that they're constantly going back and forth, look, let's just, let, why don't we just stipulate and say there was a hidden bank account, right? Which to me, I have a really hard time with that because they all say, they all say they didn't know about uh, what we call Urcha 2019, the new Urcha Corporation. They all claim they didn't know about it, yet their names were on the articles of incorporation. And we actually have an email that can be forensically established as being sent to every one of the board members when the incorporation took place including research that Charles did directly with the Secretary of State, where the Secretary of State says, sorry, the, the Urcha Corporation was administratively resolved and there's nothing you can do about it. So all of them had an oh crap moment. Every single one of them did. They all knew what was going on. There's no way they could not have known. Okay? So and, and if they didn't know, Dan, they were derelict of duty and they were negligent. All of them. Right. I would like you to address one, one thing, because uh, I'm guessing that a lot of people are in their minds are going, well, what are you talking about? I thought all this information was supposed to be sealed. <laughs> Can you speak to that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to find the document uh, where the order for uh, it being sealed uh, actually came to place. And um, it, again, this is an absolutely terrible thing, but the reality of it is, and I want you to um, understand this, um, <laughs> it was not Charles who in the end wanted everything sealed, okay? Now, mind you, I just want you to understand, we have not received all of the documents that are in discovery. By my estimation, the documents produced in discovery are remarkably substantial. There is a lot of them. And unfortunately, we were unable to obtain those documents because no one wanted to give them to us. Now, I, I suspect that the reason why uh, many of those uh, were not given to us is because there's a lot of information that would potentially be shameful and embarrassing to all parties involved, right? Um, when they talked about uh, dropping the lawsuit in order to save Urcha thousands of dollars, I, I say that that's baloney. Because if they wanted to save Urcha thousands of dollars, then they would have got together, putting aside all of the different issues that they had with one another or whatever, and they would have done whatever what was necessary, whatever was necessary, to make sure that all of this was done the way it was supposed to. There was a lot of correcting to do. The problem is, they make a habit of scapegoating everything. Remember, when you were asked several questions, right? Um, the, one of the things that's very interesting with all those questions that you asked is he kept referring to, Daniel kept referring to, uh, Dan kept referring to, well, man, we, we were fixing a lot of bad things that the old board did, right? 
Okay, well, if you know that all the board, if you knew the old board was doing a lot of bad things, would you then want to investigate all the bad things that they did? I would think you would. I would think you'd want to investigate all of the things that the old board members did so that you could find out what went wrong and then correct it all. But that's not what went on. I think there were a lot of things that were actually ignored. And I can read this to you very quickly. It's a very simple thing. Um, And this is a, uh, I'll read this to you. The document is, uh, the document number is uh, document 83 uh, number one, uh, colon 20 CV zero two, uh, TWP slash TAP. Now what that that's, if you need to pull the document, that's how you do it. The title of the document, of course, international radio control helicopter association, Inc. Urcha Inc. So both corporations are being listed as the plaintiff. That's the way it's been the whole way through this document, right? Charles Anderson defendant. And the title of the document is, of course, is the United States District Court of Southern uh, District of Indiana, Indianapolis Division. And the title of it is Order on Plaintiff's Motion, Plaintiff's Motion to Maintain Documents Under Seal. So we learn a lot from this document because what it says here is this. The matter is before the court on a motion to maintain documents under seal filed by plaintiffs International Radio uh, Helicopter Association, by the way, to maintain documents under seal filed by the plaintiffs. The plaintiffs filed this, right? And Urcha Inc. filing number 77. The plaintiffs seek to maintain their response in opposition to defendant Charles Anderson's motion for summary judgment and exhibit one. The summary judgment motion is kind of a complicated matter. He filed for motion of summary judgment based on the fact that uh, he believed that the district court uh, of Indiana did not have jurisdiction over him in essence. And uh, that was an easy one to say, "Uh uh-uh, sorry, Charles, you don't get to do that. Um, Kind of an easy thing there. But it goes on to say, it gives us a deposition transcript number, which is filing 76-1. There were two depositions that they wanted sealed, that the Orcha board members wanted sealed. And it says, to that response under seal, in motion pursuant to SD Indiana, and it gives this code, plaintiff's basis for moving to seal these documents is, quote, because they contain confidential, sensitive, and or privileged information, which the parties have sought to protect from public consumption through a uniform protective order. So what happens is, this is what happens, right? They have a uh, time of testimony, right? This was, of course, done by deposition. And what came out in this deposition was very damaging to the reputation of the Urcha board members. So the Urcha board members get 30 days to keep that thing, I think it's either 30 or 60 days, to keep that thing under seal while they can take the time to prove why it should be under seal, why it meets um, the, uh, why it meets the Indiana code to do this, right? It says here, local five, local rule 511 further requires the party that designated information as confidential to file within 14 days of service of the motion to seal either a statement authorizing the unsealing of the filings or a brief in support of maintaining the filings under seal. Plaintiffs contemporaneously filed a brief in support of their motion to maintain documents under seal, meaning they did it later. They did it after they realized, oh crap, we lost our 14-day window. And it says, um, 
However, the motion does not adequately describe, and I take it that the judge still accepted the motion, right? However, the motion does not adequately describe the document's identity who designated them confidential or provide a good cause basis for the court to maintain these documents under seal. Plaintiffs ambiguously claim this matter involves the protected information such as commercial, financial, or other information that may be of highly confidential personal nature. That's, that was their argument. But plaintiffs do not provide any specific argument for sealing their response or the deposition transcript. Plaintiffs also stated that the deposition transcript was provisionally de uh, uh, designated as protected for 30 days to allow the parties to make their designations of confidential information. As of the filing of plaintiff's brief, plaintiffs noted that those designations had not yet occurred. However, Anderson's dep deposition took place on October 28th, more than 30 days ago. Moreover, plaintiffs do not address whether less restrictive alternatives such as redaction may afford adequate protection, and they have not provided a redacted version of either document. For these reasons, plaintiff's motion, filing number 77, is denied. The clerk is directed to unseal filing 74-1 and number 76-1 after 21 days absent any motion to reconsider appeal or further court order. That means, oh crap, those depositions are unsealed and all of the shameful information that came out in those depositions are going to happen. Now, it is important to note, based on what the judge is actually saying here, is that they had 30 days to make an argument. They did not make a good argument. They were ambiguous with the way that they actually argued, and uh, they were very uh, uniform, non-uniform about it in that they said, we think that the document needs to go away. They did not provide a redacted version of the document because if you're going to make an argument that, hey, listen, there's really private information that came up in this deposition um, and I think it's very sensitive, then I would have the legal obligation in most cases to provide a proposed redacted version of that because I'm concerned about the sensitive nature of what was brought out. Meaning, let's say I, I testify and you ask me if I have uh, any children, what their ages are, what their names are, and maybe you're concerned about their security. Okay, well, you could redact that portion of the, or you could ask the court to redact that portion of the testimony as it may not be necessarily relevant to the public who might be watching it. You see this happen a lot when search warrants are uh, issued and those warrants become public. Uh, they redact all kinds of information in those warrants to protect the people who are actually being served. This is the same thing that they should have done, but they didn't do it. They wanted it all to be eliminated because they did not want to be embarrassed by the information that was coming out in those depositions. Right. Realistically, Dan, I can go on and on and on and on about this. I mean, guys, listen, this, this is bad. If you want my preliminary assessment of everything that's going on, and I do want to say, I still don't know all the facts. All I can do is make determinations as into what the facts are that are based on stipulations in the legal documents, right? So many of the facts that I've given, there's a whole lot more facts to the story. They all go to the same basic uh, thesis. And the same basic thesis is this. I'm not convinced that these guys started doing what they did as bad guys looking to rip somebody off or looking to take advantage of certain things. And I want to be uh, the man in the helicopter world. And I, I don't think any of that probably happened. I think all of these people probably had really great intentions, wanting to do good things for the community, for the hobby. And I think they were lackadaisical from the beginning. Now, some of it could have been the result of real true sincere ignorance 
that came from past established practice, right? Well, we've always done it this way. So this is what I assumed was okay. And I get that. But the problem that I have with it is every single one of these men are sophisticated, remarkably intelligent people. They're not dummies, right? So it may have been past established practice, but what did we do to go back and to fix it? And the problem is when things became more difficult and ugliness started to come out, maybe there was a massive disagreement. My guess is there was a massive disagreement between Charles and some of the other board members about some of the vendors. And when that disagreement got really, really bad, I think the board members probably said, enough of this. Let's find something on Charles. I don't know. I really don't know what was the motivation for what they did. But in essence, they literally obliterated the organization. The organization legally has no credibility. Zero. There is no credibility with this organization. This organization is done for uh, under the auspice of what is uh, legal. It's, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible situation. So, so the problem is these people who, you know, uh, meant well at the beginning probably had a few oh crap moments and in those oh crap moments went back to go correct things and unfortunately got in over their heads and it got to the point where it got ugly. And, and right. my guess is that's exactly what happened. I'm still dumbfounded that the new Urcha Inc., which is still in good standing with Indiana, is filed as a domestic nonprofit, yet there are no letters of determination to establish it, and there's no record in the IRS to show that. So the bottom line is, what I think happened, this is just my thought, I could be wrong, man, and I, I don't want to jump to conclusions. As Angel said, he says he's a faith guy. Well, I'm really a faith guy. I'm not saying that Angel isn't, but I'm just saying that the Bible tells me that you've got to hear the whole matter before you comment on things. And unfortunately, we don't have the benefit of hearing the whole matter. We have the benefit of looking at the facts as stipulated that are very fragmented and limited. And based on that fragmented, limited amount of information, I think anybody who has a reasonable background or understanding of all of these matters doesn't even take a legal expert to recognize this. I think anybody with a reasonable understanding of what's going on would probably be able to say, and this is the best case scenario. This is like the, the I'm being graceful with everybody scenario. It's a bunch of guys that meant well initially. They got in over their heads. And in, instead of trying to get the right people involved to correct this, right? If I was going to spend $10,000 on suing a guy that I think stole $70,000, I would much rather take that $10,000 and give it to a corporate attorney that could fix the problems as they sit. And once all of that got fixed and the structure got put in the correct place, then maybe I would consider suing this guy if I could find a solid forensic accounting of it. All of them said there was no forensic accounting. So the bottom line was um, they got in over their heads and then they did not do what was right. They did the wrong thing in trying to correct the problems. We just kind of wanted to go over some of that stuff. Obviously, James said there's a, there's a shit ton more and we could probably do a five-hour show on it, but we're not going to do that. What I would like to do is take a few minutes. James kind of gave us his, I guess, uh, thoughts on what, you know, the future of Urcha is in its current form, in its current uh, structure. That's the operable word, right? In its current state, right? It can always right. be fixed. So uh, I'm going to go out and just say, I don't think it can be fixed with the current group. I agree. I just don't think it can. Wholeheartedly and, agree. You know, and, 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 and I, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm, pissing on the guys that that did this right they 
bit off more than they could chew, potentially. I mean, that's what it's looking like. It's a lot of work. They needed help. Now, when you need help and, you know, you know that there's things going on that shouldn't be going on, it's a little easier to not ask for help, right? Because you don't want to bring a new person in and, and just witness your chaos, right? Well, we all know the chaos is there now, right? We know it's there. There's no hiding it. Ideally, we get some folks that really understand this stuff. You know, it's a big commitment. I get that. But then we fix these issues. Somebody that can go in there and fix these issues. And, and we stop talking about this shit, right? I mean, we all know it happened. We just wanted to present. I did. I'm not going to speak for Deb and Nick or, or Rob here. But, you know, my focus was let's understand as much as we can with the information that we have, right? Because we've heard one side, then we heard the other. And frankly, I don't think we were told the truth, right? On everything. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think there was some obfuscation there and some denial. And I think there's a little bit of unfair finger pointing. Uh, I certainly don't mean to say that I think Charles Anderson, and, and just full disclosure, I have been talking with Charles Anderson I don't necessarily think he's an innocent because as far as I'm concerned, if the bad things have been going on for all this time, you know, he was a part of that, right? Maybe. I, I don't know for sure. He, he obviously denies that. And there's also the scenario where he decides that he wants to become more involved uh, with the financial aspect of Urcha and, and, discovers these issues. Now these, I have no idea I'm just speculating, you know, I'm just kind of playing the devil's advocate, looking at it from different perspectives. You know, he sees some improprieties and all of a sudden he's ousted. I, I don't know if that's what happened. Right. And, and you know what? We're never going to know. No one's ever going to go to jail for this. No one's ever going to know the truth because frankly, nobody, and I listened to the depositions. I listened to every one of the depositions. So have I. Yeah. In total. And I would be, personally me, I understand that they're trying to protect themselves legally, but to sit there and, and give some of the responses that I heard, as a grown-ass man, I would be ashamed, right? I, I, you know, I guess it's easy for me to say that sitting here. I'm not dealing with that, right? I, I don't know, but I... I I just, some of the answers that I heard in those depositions were just mind boggling to me. I'm like, how can you run a, anything without nobody, nobody, I mean, they couldn't even agree on who was the secretary. I know. And Dan, I, I just have to say this really quickly. Dan Lucente told us that, ch that charges were being pressed against uh, Charles by some authority in Indiana. First of all, let me just tell you this. They, if this happened, then that would mean a majority of the conversion and embezzlement that they're claiming happened would have had to have happened in another state. And the, the bureau would be involved in that. It would be a federal investigation. And without any forensic accounting or any evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, there'd be no way they would file charges. I just can't imagine. There's no evidence of it. So I'm right. not defending Charles here. I'm just saying they all got in over their heads. And I just wish they would just tell the dang truth. Yeah, tell the truth. Let's move on with it. We all know it's we all know it's fucked up, right? It, it's a mess. We all know that. We get that. Let's you know. Let's stop talking about the shit that went down and let's start talking about how we can fix it. I don't. I don't look. I don't have the answer. I don't know the answer to that. 
uh, I'm willing to help. I don't, you know, whatever that looks like, whether it's through the podcast or, or other ways, right? A lot of information in that whole conversation for sure. And a real um, kind of eye opener in a way. Yeah. To, to both sides, not just, you know, this side or one side, it kind of brought everything together in light in a realization of what is actually going on in the midst of everything. Right. And, and, you know, one, one way to look at it too, Devin is, you know, we don't, we, you, me, Nick, Rob, James, any, all, you know, we don't really have, I guess, a dog in this bite, man. We have no reason to try to make one side of it, whether it's the board and the other side uh, uh, being Charles Anderson look better than the other, because we just want to know what the hell happened. Right. Like, and, and, and Dan, I would just say, I think we all have a dog in the fight in that we love the In the hobby. long run, we do. Yeah, we love but the But not hobby. in this he said, she, she, she right. said bullshit. Yeah, amen right. to that. Yeah, amen to that. I'm not all that interested in this point in, in learning more than we have about what's happened in the past. I think we've heard, you know, from both sides, we've done some investigation of our own uh, to an extent. You know, thank you, James, for that, by the way, uh, for, you know, shedding additional light on this whole situation. You know, I'm I'm most focused and most interested in the path forwards. Um, right. And I will say, the the more I learn, the the less I have any confidence in. You know, despite their valiant effort, I, you know, I don't want to take away from the fact that to put on an event and the scale of virtue takes a ton of work, uh, and and the people involved here did a ton of great work in order to put on some successful events, uh, and you know, and that's great. But the same token. You know, I'm a, I'm a small business owner myself. I deal with all of the paperwork, all of the taxes, all of the legal stuff, like myself and a very small team of people I lean on for help, you know, take care of all of those things. And if I can do that uh, while being out of town half the year and having two children, like it's possible for, you know, a team of, of six board members or, or whatever it works out to be at Urcha to, you know, take care of some, some just basic finances and accounting. Um, I want to see open right. accounting. I want to see a successful, thriving urgent. Right. And, and, Absolutely. And, and when we're done talking about this, Dan, I knew that it would come to this. So I do have a path that I could recommend very brief on how this gets fixed. And it's not difficult. It really isn't. And, and Nick, I'm with you. I, I don't want to know any more about this. Every single time I, 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 I peel a layer, it gets uglier and uglier. I have no desire to know more about it. I, I, I agree. How about you, Rob? What do you think? Well, I mean, I think the way I see it is, and I said this before, and I just focus mainly on, you know, where's, where's the karma and the energy behind this whole thing, right? You know, it, my dad always taught me when I was younger, my mom and dad, that, you know, if you've got two things, actually. One, when you're where trouble is, you're, also, you're in trouble too, Right. So that means in this situation like this, if you're become privy to something that just seems a little off or you, you realize should be being handled or whatever it is, logistic paperwork about, uh, you know, proving your nonprofit status, accounting, whatever it is, you know, and you don't say or do something about it, then you're also culpable. I mean, we're all grown adults here. You know what I mean? Um, and the other part of it is, as lots of people do when they're young, you know, you learn through trying to do something that somebody told you not to do and realizing why they said not to do it. And one important thing that kernel of wisdom that I learned over the years was that the longer you leave a problem unattended, 
the worse it's going to get. There is no way that the problem will just go away all by itself, right? Yep. And so it, when you recognize that there's something that needs to needs some amount of attention, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's your lawn that you've got to mow or it's Urcha that you've got to run or it's an organization that needs to be prepared for fucking worlds next year, right? You, you got to... You got to, you know, you got to clean house early and often. So this kind of shit doesn't unravel as deep as it has. Amen. You know, and I think and this is just, this isn't, you know, it's not supposed to be, my comment here isn't about any one person or a personality or anything like that. It's almost like a human nature thing. And I think most people learn how to grow out of this, but there's a lot of, I what it sound, feels to me like a lot of fear-based, like, just let's shut this whole thing up, shut it down. Like the scenario about, you know, if you want to try to block or redact some stuff in the court, yes, explain why. I mean, if you're afraid to go there and say, you know, look, we've got vendors that we've got some unusual relationships with here. And if they, their names come out here, they're just not going to be vendors with us anymore. We're going to lose that business. We don't want to lose that business. At least say that to the judge to try to gain momentum on your side of it, if that's what you're trying to do. Um, you know, James, you mentioned if you care about the organization, if you really, really, truly cared about the the core of what it is, it, w it would just be natural for you to feed that kind of energy to that machine. Right. And it just I don't know, you know, again, this is a hobby. This is all right. stuff people are doing in their part time outside of being at work full time and raising families and paying bills and whatever it is, you know, uh, so, I mean, I get that there's that part of it, but, you know, it, I was in AA for a long time when I was younger. And I'm a sober guy. I've been sober for a long time, right? But when I was in AA, I chose to um, chair a meeting. And at the very beginning, I was kind of cavalier with it all. And one of the elders came by and he, I really, like, looked up to this person um, and he came by to me one day and he just kind of took me under his shoulder and he was the one that gave me the blessing to take the, the meeting. And he ex basically explained to me kind of like a father would gently scold uh, an adolescent or young adult man. You know, he basically was like, look, you got to treat this with a little bit more care and responsibility or just step away from it if that's not what you're prepared to do. And it hit me in the face and I was like, oh, shit, I didn't even realize I wasn't giving it what I should have been giving it. And it changed that for me. And that meeting became a whole different thing for myself and the people that were involved because the energy was different. Right. And whether it's Urcha version 3.0, whether it's some other organization, I don't know what it is, that needs to exist inside it. It does. And if it doesn't, then everybody else will feel it just like they have been for years here with Urcha. And that's my two cents. So, Rob... Um, I can tell by the sound of your voice that this, this whole thing is, is bothersome to you, but I've got some very, very good news for you. Yeah. This is the last time we're talking about this shit in the past. <laughs> we're done with it. I, I just, I, I wanted to do this episode because I wanted to let, uh, James and I actually talked about this. Um, I kind of felt like there was some misinformation uh, that had been distributed on our show. And I was feeling responsible for that, right? I was feeling some, I had some responsibility for that. Yeah, it's your show, man. This is why I asked James, knowing his background, to give me a hand with this. 
and help me understand exactly what's happening. We understand it now and, and there's more to it, but we're, you know, there, there's no reason to go into it. I think we've painted a picture that most people can understand if they choose to. Some people will probably will just not, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, I really want to focus on moving forward with it. Um, from a couple different perspectives, you know, there's a lot of manufacturers that count on it, right? And every supplier, every manufacturer out there is important to the hobby because if yes. any one of them lose their footing and have to close shop, that's a big chunk of the hobby that dies with them, right? So we, you know, we need to support them all. Um, Urcha is important for that, has been for a long time. Even if it's not a large attended event, as like it has been in years past, yeah. it's still significant in that it's covered with social media at a great extent. It's the thing in yeah. August, yeah, right? Yeah, it's the thing, man. I remember um, watching, the other day I watched a video that A-Main Hobbies put out, it just, just showed up in my feed. I think it was from... I want to say 2014, maybe yeah, I want to say 2016 or something like that. And it was a little Urcha, Urcha documentary. Dude, it gave me goosebumps, right? Just right. The, watching it that way. And it, basically, if you go find that a main hobbies, Urcha documentary, just go Google search it or search it on YouTube. You'll find it. The way that you feel when you watch that video about Urcha is I think what everybody just wants to have back again, you know? And so, yeah. All righty, guys. Any closing thoughts, James? Yeah, um, I, I just, I do want to do this. I want to provide a quick closing uh, thought because, you know, the way we are, right? We don't want to just barf on everybody and say, hey, all of this bad stuff happened. You know, some people say, oh, what do we do now? Can I, I just want to make a quick recommendation on how this can get fixed and how it can get fixed relatively quickly, right? First of all, I just think the board members were over their heads, right? If for whatever reason, we can't get a board together that's willing to do this. Let me just tell you the process to make this work. There, it's a simple few steps, right? Number one, you have to make sure that you are willing to let go of what you think you want by simply saying, I want to preserve Urcha's name. Legally, you might have to face a possibility that you're going to let go of that name and maybe file a DBA or whatever it might be. Number two, Find a competent attorney. Listen, uh, the money that you spent on the booze, the money you spent on all the other stuff that you did, you know, for whatever it might be, take that money this year because we got, you know, uh, international competition coming up, right? Take that money this year, right now, tomorrow, and get some attorneys involved that will help you to restructure it. Bring a CPA in the picture. Get the AMA involved, Right. You don't have to do the work yourself. Dan said this in, 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 the, in his interview a few weeks ago. He says, I don't want to tout my own, my own horn, but we could never do the jamboree without me. Actually, you need to get rid of that attitude. Walk with humility and say, enough is enough. I got involved in this. I got in over my head. I messed this up. And I want, I'm begging people that are listening to this who have competence in some of these areas to step up and to say, this is how I can help, right? I'm not asking you to give pro bono work if you're an attorney. Say, I know how to fix this and I'll charge you a small amount. It doesn't matter. But there is a path out. And the path, believe it or not, is really simple. It doesn't require the board members to do 
all of the work themselves. As a matter of fact, it requires board members that are willing to say, I'm in over my head and I need to bring the right people in to do this. We have a, a, a series of attorneys, attorneys that work with us. And I have a legal background because I can't do everything at once. So get the right people in. All of these things could probably get solved within the course of a couple of months. And let's just get it done. Right. I agree. I think we've, uh, We've hit that urcha threshold. <laughs> I hope nobody. <laughs> I hope, every, I hope everybody doesn't hate me after this one, man. I no, don't know. Thanks, no. you, James, so much for for kind of shedding some light on some of that and helping uh, explain some of that legalese and um, and and the time you put in as a significant amount of time. So we're gonna quickly roll through this here, Nick. If I needed to get in touch with you, how would I do that? Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Nick Wisdom RC or hit me up via email at Nick Wisdom at rchnv3.com. How about you, Devin? If you wanted to contact me, Devin McClellan on Facebook or my email, Devin at RCHNV3.com. How about you, James? Um, if you want to get a hold of me, you can go to get lost at I don't like you.com. That's no, I'm just I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Had to put a little humor in wow. there. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, you can uh, get a hold of me on Facebook, uh, James Cadiz. That's a K A D D I S. Uh, Facebook Messenger is a good way to do it. I have lots of staff that look at that for me, and um, anytime there's anything helicopter related, they they get a hold of me. It's the easiest way to do it. And, um, uh, my email, I just, I get hundreds of pieces of email a day, so I wouldn't see it. So that would be the way to do it is, uh, just message me on uh, Facebook, uh, James Cadiz. Whatever you do, don't, don't text him. Cause he might not see that for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could actually <laughs> go, you could also go to info at jamescadiz.com and I would see that as well. My staff give that, gives me a report on those emails every week. So, so Rob, I'm going to let you off easy this week. Sounds like you had a rough week. Why don't you just give us your email? So if we want to get in touch with you, we can do that. I can't. It's in little China. (laughs) 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 So what you have to do is you have to hitch a ride on Jack Burton's uh, semi truck to little China (laughs) and get yourself stuck in one of those crazy Chinese gang fights and then um, break away from that and try to find Miao Ying, because you don't want, um, uh, I forgot the old guy's name now, uh, but you don't want him to get hurt. So save Miao Ying uh, with Jack Burton. And when you get back out and you go back to that little diner, I'll have left a little scroll that has my email address on it behind the place where they make the tea and stuff like that. So just remember to go there and get that. And then you can email me. Um, but if you're a pussy and you don't want to go to China, little China, then just email me at rob at rchnv3.com. Uh, you can hit me a message at Facebook. I'm RC Next Gen on Facebook. Uh, come find one of my YouTube channel, uh, video, one of my YouTube videos, uh, youtube.com slash nextgenrc. I love that movie, Rob. Yeah, dude, that's one of just my saying. favorites. I'm Dan. You can reach me at uh, dan at rchnv3.com, Dan Keery on Facebook. And uh, please check out our webpage, www.rchnv3. Uh, link to locals there if you're so inclined and you want to support us that way, you can. And uh, no Instagram or any other hashtag stuff. I don't even know. Hashtag stuff. I don't know. I still haven't figured it out. Hashtag. Hashtag, don't know what hashtag means. Nick, hit him with that hashtag again. Hashtag. (laughs) 
Hashtag please help. Alrighty, guys. We sure hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we've enjoyed making it. Have a good week. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Adios. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you very much. Come again. <laughs>